The following is a part of the Radio Memphis On Demand service. It originally aired live on Radio Memphis and has been edited for time. When a woman gets in trouble, she turns into Natalie. <laughs> Say what? I saw your date on uh, on Facebook. Pepe. Pepe. My new bow. Your new bow. He's an anatomically correct frog. He's very popular. <laughs> yes, he is. From what you're telling me, yeah, he's he's well hung apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not talk about his private parts now. <laughs> He's your date. Breaking hearts all across social media. I know that's what it's you're doing. complicated, Rick. I understand. I, I, I saw that. It was, it's complicated. <laughs> I have a date with Pepe. Pepe. Whatever. Um, well, hey, uh, glad you can come down tonight. Thank you. This is, I can honestly say this has been the highlight of my week. It is usually the highlight of mine as well. You know, I. I, I Whoa. Yeah. Here's my microphone. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it the week can be kind of a grind, and, and you're, yeah. you're doing so much. And then I look forward to sitting down here on Sunday because I can, even though I'm here all the time, this is really a good time for me to relax a bit and have some fun. And yes, as we were discussing earlier, I was telling you about my baby boys in Blues Heaven now. Yeah, I'm so sorry. Thank you. It's it's he's much better off. Yeah, yeah. The end of the end of the road is a tough. It's a tough place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But you were out there buying a shovel in the middle of the night. So I know, right? Did you have duct tape on Walmart your Walmart security, I promised you, has me flagged, <laughs> you know, for for later, just in case. <laughs> this little blonde white woman over here buying a shovel and some duct tape in the middle of the night. I... <sighs> My neighbors watching me watching at you the midnight digging a hole in my backyard with flashlights hey sometimes you got to do that i've That's, done it i know, you know and it's I know. You know, it's rough it is it's rough you know have a little midnight service and did you pour 40 out and you know we did i mean i at that point i was so ready and i was starting to toss the dirt my son goes no wait mom no we have to say our we have to say something so so yeah, we did you, you got to have a little service yeah, I kept it. I kept it short. <laughs> <laughs> Forever. <laughs> <laughs> Made it sound like you had something else better to do. <laughs> Usually, when it comes to those things, everybody has something else they'd rather be doing. That's, that's oh, for sure. God love you. Yeah, uh, my wife is at home uh, tonight. It's a rare night for her to stay at home. She's. I I saw where the immigrant made the news. She did. She made the news. Um, yeah, with her with the place that she works at Patrick's and. And on top of that, she's got she's got a touch of the March Madness. She's not feeling great. She's raving a bit. She's laying on the couch watching TV. So. I hope you feel better, Joe. She'll be she'll be fine. So, and and when I told her that Eddie was going to be here tonight, she was like, "Well, tell Eddie I said hello." So. Oh, that's nice. So, because uh, you know, she's she's a fan of yours. Oh, well, that's great. I'm a fan of hers. <laughs> <laughs> she's got that crazy Irish hair. Oh you know? yeah. Well, you got you've she's known her really longer like, than I have. I think you you guys go you way know, back. I, I, I had a band, I should say, I was in a band called Los Libidos. And <laughs> what we, a great played, name. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a play on libido, but on Los Lobos, you know, Los Libidos. Mm-hmm. Los we Libidos. Were acoustic, rock, folky kind of. But anyway, we played at Kudzu's. So I think that was around 1990. Yeah. It's, it's a while ago. We played it's, there several times. Before I got here, yeah. Oh, okay. So oh, yeah. Like, yeah. She'd uh, been here longer before me, yeah. All right, when that was about 1990, maybe 91, 90, yeah. maybe 1990, 90, 90, 91, somewhere near. Now it's closed, I guess. You know, they're it's been closed a long time, yeah. A few years. You know, Wally and I were playing there about five years ago. But they're, you know, they be, haven't torn it down. It used to I mean, be a popular little place. I used to cool go there. Place. Mm-hmm. It's, it's authentic. It know? is authentic, mm-hmm. yeah. Real authentic. 
Yeah, when back when Martin was back there slinging the beer behind the bar, and he's over at Westies now. Some hard drinking going on. Well, yeah, too. there were <laughs> there was a lot of things going on there, from my understanding. You know, of course, yeah. when Joe got off the boat, that was like she lived there for a while. Apparently, did she? Yeah, I uh, they had a couple of rooms. Steve and his wife had an apartment up there on the top, okay. and she would stay up there. And well, anytime I went there, she was always the waitress that waited on me. Oh yeah, yeah. She was very nice, and they used to do a trivia night there. You know, she started all that. That's right. She started. She brought trivia from Ireland to Memphis. She's the one that started it all. Really? I yeah. Know. Well, you know, I have a. Interestingly, I have a friend. Do you know Daphne Hewitt? I know the name. Joe knows Daphne. She's a fantastic illustrator and yeah, artist. Yeah. And she was, you know, had a lot of friends. I guess folks with the commercial appeal, whatever. They're the best when it comes to trivia. Yeah. But Daphne is Wally Ford's sister. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh wow. And Daphne did well. This this poster I brought you. She did the right. Memphis Music Sampler poster. She did the uh, Last Chance Jug Band poster. And not poster, but CD cover. The artwork. Right. Right. The talented artist. But yeah, she would go. To trivia, and I, I went once or twice. I'm not a real good, you know, a buff like that. <laughs> but it was fun. It was more fun playing. There. She still does the trivia thing every Wednesday, um, but she does it over at uh, Half Shell. Yeah, on Mendenhall. On Mendenhall, yeah. 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 Uh, she does it there uh, uh, 6 o'clock every Wednesday. That's okay. cool. What a tradition. That's like 30 years now. Yeah, wow. she sits down Almost and she does all years. the questions by hand. She does all of the research for it, you know. She doesn't, wow. she doesn't just have a book she pulls from. She... Actually, put some thought and effort into Fun. it. So she has a good time with it. It's fantastic. Um, Eddie Daddle is here in the studio. Eddie, we've known you for a long time uh, through Inside Sounds and uh, all the artists that you've touched and and been a part of over the years. Like Daddy Mac, we were just talking about him a little while ago. I know we've got some some stuff that we haven't had before. We're going to play tonight some stuff out of your library. Well, I brought a few little things, and I don't touch the artists, okay? I just want to clarify that. No touching? Because I've worked with some ladies over the years, and if they touch me, that's it's, one thing. It's the whole me too thing. I don't thing, touch yeah. the art. You know, I haven't t- I've touched them in other ways. Well, usually, why do you feel the need to clarify hug, that? Because he said touching the artists. Well, uh, I, I, I meant that the, metaphorically. You know, you know, he's, 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 just, the way he said it, I thought, oh, no, I don't touch the artists. I don't, no, if... If you try and touch That's, Daddy I mean, Mac, he'll you'll draw that draw back oh, yeah, a nub. Yeah, yeah. You know he'll. You now, know. we've had like a brotherly hug. You well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we were talking about just how authentic of a guy he is, and, yeah. and you working with him over the years because you and Wally have are basically responsible for half of his catalog. Yeah, yeah, we've written half half the songs and uh, or and cherry picked others and concepts yeah. for tunes like Blues Finger, you know, um, and. Um, was you know, Soul Finger. It was sort of a play on Soul Finger as a concept. We brought in Billy Gibson on that song, and instead of you know having uh, the horn lines, we had a harmonica line and Daddy Mac playing some of the horn lines on guitar. But so we had a lot of original ideas for cover tunes, and right. then, of course we wrote half the material. Um, yeah, Daddy Mac was, has been. It's been a lot of fun over the years, and to see you know to see all the attention and you know national radio play on. You know, some um, uh, uh, satellite radio and cable TV and all this. He's he's had some success like that. That's how did how did that work with Mac? I mean, you guys would write the song and you just take it to him, and he would just go with it, or was there, or did he would would he manipulate it as well? I mean, he would say, hey, "I'd rather do this than that," or. Well, when you talk about like when you when you said what a what a real you know authentic guy he is coming yeah. from Como, Mississippi, 
In fact, Wally came up with the idea of a song called Como. But it's just, we're, we're not even brainstorming when we write for him. It's like we're so used to being around him, or I should say we know his story well enough and know where he comes from and know how he sounds singing and know what he talks about that we bring all that to the table when we're writing songs. So it's almost like, you know, we're, we're, we're really in his head mm-hmm. when, we're, when we're writing. We don't write with Daddy Mac. Although we have collaborated on one or two songs. But for the most part, we write them. And then when we're ready to record them, we sometimes give him a demo, just a guitar demo and vocal. And other times we just bring him in the studio with the band and rehearse them, and he learns them, and he learns them. As far as him having input, some input some of the time. But, you know, mostly he just, you know, he... he like his where, solos where, and stuff where, are more... Well, what I was going to yeah. say is where it really becomes... Well, but his vocals, I'll tell you, it's what's interesting to me about Daddy Mac is if you listen to him from his first recordings going back to 99, he, he got to be a better vocalist, which is interesting because he's, he's in his 70s now. And most people, they start losing some of their, you know, upper register, just their performance. Right. Maybe even in their 50s, you know, you lose a little something. But he got better, and I don't, I, you know, I don't know why. I've asked him. I said, "Mac, do you know you sound better?" I said, How, "You know." He says, well, "I'm just singing more, getting better at it." You know, is his answer. It's all those cigars. <laughs> we, well, he doesn't inhale, you know. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Uh huh. So, but so he's, um, but he puts his thing into it as a singer. But we typically don't change, you know, the lyrics at all, or he doesn't. Um, sometimes phrasing will be a little, and sometimes. You know, the way he speaks in terms of just the syntax, you know, uh, maybe he doesn't like to say does, and he'll say do instead of does, you know, things like that. Right, that, right, that you'd right. expect from a guy from, you from know, Como, Como Mississippi, <laughs> born in the 40s, you know. Sure. You know, you know, how do you feel, or, how, you know, not how does it feel, how do it feel. You know, how do it feel, feel. You know, yeah. Well, that's, I mean, things yeah. like that, he doesn't, he, but he'll intentionally, you know, you, you'll he'll see it on the page that it's written, you know, a certain way. Uh, and he'll change a, a word. I got a friend it's from funny. Tupelo. It's funny that we, I got know. a friend from Tupelo, and she didn't say, I saw something. It's, I seen. I seen I it. S- I yeah. seen it. Yeah. I mm-hmm. seen it. He'll, you know, and sometimes it, it, that's really what, you know, you, what it calls for. Uh, and, of course, his guitar playing, he's, you know, you can tell it's Daddy Mac just when you hear him. His oh, God, solos, yes. Oh, yeah. You know, and that's pretty much what he's doing is solo. And we, you know, almost, well, always on our recordings, we've, you know, he's he's played the, the solo parts, not the rhythm, you know, and... Um, it's it's uh, worked out really well, and we've you know it becomes second nature, and almost to the point where you start it's it becomes more difficult just to write a song for me if I don't have a voice that I'm thinking about, and um, like Char- you know Charles Ponder, mm-hmm. Wally and I have been writing some songs specifically for Charles, mm-hmm. and so it takes a while to kind of start getting acclimated to that idea you know okay i'm writing for of course charles also the thing about charles ponder and in a way i I feel my own musical limitations just thinking about it he is such an outstanding vocalist in terms of his range and 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 his ability to sing so many different styles But, but, but with daddy mac we really had you know the blues thing down you know, I mean, how could you, you not? Know, we, we had it. We had it down, and and um, and I'm real proud of the material. You know, over the years, um, I, I need to. Uh, I, I came in a little weird on on time here, but uh, I need to grab a break here. But I thought right out of the break, I'd play one of these tunes. You brought us a bunch, um, and we're gonna get. We're gonna cover a lot of ground tonight. Um, 
At least we're going to try to, at least. Every, every, everything from, of course, Daddy Mac, which we started with, to uh, your own stuff. John Kilzer, uh, yes. you know, we lost him last week. I guess it was a week before last. And uh, Ten days ago. Ten days. And uh, we've got some other stuff we want to get into. And I thought right out of the break, let's, let's play a, a song from, from your list of stuff here. And uh, what, what, what did you have in mind? What would you, what would you like to... Well, if we're talking about uh, Daddy Mac, uh, Royal Shade of Blues. How about that? Let's do that. Okay, we'll play that, and we'll come right back right out of that, and we'll continue on. Okay. Good. Eddie Daddle is here, kids, here on the Booze and Blues. Don't run away. Those of you that are uh, listening to our, to the program through uh, uh, Mark's uh, Facebook Live thing, you can find us at radio-memphis.com, and uh, you can enjoy all the all the tunes and stuff that you normally wouldn't get that way. So there you go. And I think you're going to play for us a little bit tonight. Yeah, I brought my guitar. All right. Good. And I have an electric here if you'd want to plug in, too. So. Okay. Well, you, I brought the acoustic. So. Whatever you want to do, it's up to you. All right. All right. Who knows? Maybe a band will break out before it's all said and done with. <laughs> well, well, I asked Wally to come. but yeah, we, yeah, What you told me was funny. <laughs> about that? <laughs> His wife. Uh. His wife. <laughs> I'll play this guitar. 
That's the real deal right there. That's uh, Daddy Mac Blues Band and Royal Shades of Blue from the Blues Tones record. Uh, that says here from 2006. Yeah, that was a tune. Actually, uh, I guess I brought it in because we're talking about the label and some of the artists. That's one that Sandy Carroll and I wrote. Yeah. And um, I think we wrote it uh, a little bit together, but then long distance. I think she had already moved to Pickwick is where she lives now. Yeah. And, you know, the funny thing is, I'll tell you the little story about that song. Oh, please do. Is, is um, we did a little demo of it with the Junkyard Men. Yeah. You know, we were working with them a lot, and they were great musicians, so we asked them to demo this thing up. And then when we were a, a few years later, um, we were we were working on Daddy Max, I guess third CD, and there was Blues Tones was the third CD, and I, I couldn't find the recording. I was like, and I couldn't remember how we did it, so I I, I changed the the groove to it completely, and we kept the lyrics of, about the same, and it turned out like that, and it just turned out really really nice. You know? Probably a blessing that you couldn't find that original recording. Sometimes it's a blessing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I found it later. It's like I found it after we were of course. I'm like, oh, here it is. And you then know? you heard it went. You know what? I think we did better. <laughs> <laughs> and we did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Sandy heard it. You know, she had forgotten because it was a few years later. So after we recorded it, Sandy, you know, was like, well, that, you know, she didn't even really even remember the original demo we did of it because we did it quick and. It's like you cut it. We were pitch. Actually, we were pitching. That's a song we did not custom write for Daddy Mac, but I tweaked it maybe a little bit. But the idea was, you know, I'm playing a royal shade of blues, and I like the the play on. I'm not the king, as in BB King, but I play a royal shade of blues. We we worked on that idea together. Sure. We were pitching it to a couple of people, and then, like I said, it was later we had it. And we thought, man, this would be a good one for Daddy Mac. Well, you've had a lot of success working with Mac and and, and several others too. I mean, you, the the music that you write, Eddie, is is uh, is it's 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 layered. It's very in depth. I think you know, like the, the other side of the sun album from yours. Oh, thank you. I, I absolutely love that record. Oh, there's, thank you. There's thank so you many great much. songs on there, and uh, at the same time, though, as a, as a blues writer, you you get right down to it. You get down to the nuts and bolts of what makes blue, good blues tunes, and and there's no horsing around with you on that. Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm flattered because, you know, I, I guess just coming up around Memphis, you know, you, 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 you soak it up a little bit. But honestly, when I started Inside Sounds, which was really like uh, 29 years ago, I think, 91, yeah, about 1991, so yeah. it's 28, 29 years, I really wasn't thinking so much, you know, of any specific thing, to be honest with you. Sure. I just loved all kinds of music. So Inside Sounds, in fact, I got some flat for it at the time. We produced our second release was called the Memphis Music Sampler. And I remember hearing gruntled musicians going, that's not Memphis. That's not Memphis music. And my point was anything can be Memphis music. Well, sure it, could be, it could be jazz. It could be techno pop. The CD like oh, yeah. opened with Big Joe Scientist, which was a techno pop band. They were playing triggered drum sounds and doing samples and it was real i loved it oh, and, yeah. and yet it was melodic on t to boot i always like music that you could remember you know um and i've been really lucky to work with some virtuosos you know over the years like edwin hubbard or carl wolf is just a you know virtuoso tim simmons is another virtuoso guitar we've gotten player. a little bit of flack about the Memphis music, you know, how would one define that? And it's like, mm -hmm. it could be anything. You're right. It could be punk. It could be, you know, rock and roll country. There's all sorts of stuff. You exactly. Know? Why, sh why should you want to limit it? Now, if you want to label it, or, or let's say the Tourism Bureau, if they want to label it a certain way, I, I get that. I understand that, you know. Uh, but the reality is. It's a, it's a is, soup. 
Yeah. It's, yeah, a lot goes into it. Some if a stew. Yeah. Stew. Yeah. There I you mean, go. And, yeah. it, and it doesn't have to be, you know, identifiable the way a Stax record, you know, sounds no. or, or, you know, or sounded. Um, and we did. I mean, Memphis does have, you know, uh, or has had, always had kind of a vibrant garage rock scene, whatever you want to call that exactly. Is that punkish? Oh. Yeah, it's a little bit. The attitude's oh, yeah. a little punk. Garage, as you know? they say in London. Mm-hmm. And those guys go to London, and God bless them, guys like, you know, Jack Yarber. Uh, I live in the, Cooper Young, and when I walk through the neighborhood, you, you hear bands that are practicing all the time, and, and mm-hmm. then I'll get some of this music that comes in, and I can listen to it and go, oh, those are Midtown guys. I, I know that sound. There yeah. is a thing, a vibe in Midtown. There is. A, you know, but, you know, and there's some people in Midtown who think well, if you're not in Midtown, you can't really be an artist, and I'm like, huh. Oh, well, you, know, uh, you know, just weird stuff goes on, but I've always um, uh, liked to invite folks who who are just virtuosos you know i love to grab a hold of the virtuosos and and um like a guy like carl wolf he's a great arranger tim simmons was an uh he's not even playing guitar anymore he's had problems with his fingers and but that guy is is just a incredible guitar player if you've ever heard the version of eleanor rigby i should have brought it we're talking about it but you should hear his version of eleanor rigby yeah, because um, you have, um, and, and I want people to be able to find your stuff. I, 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 is the fried glass onion stuff still available? Is it? It should. Yeah, yeah, it's can, still in circulation. On, it's you can go still, online and get it, and mm-hmm. yeah, and it's and it's Memphis artists tribute to the Beatles. Yeah, no, and that's another thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. but there's a whole ton of this stuff. There's like four volumes of it, isn't there? Right? We we produced four volumes. There are like forty nine. I think a total of forty nine different songs that are done like. Mostly a Memphis interpretation. Again, what does that mean? Well, some of them are identifiably a Memphis interpretation. Sure. By virtue of, okay, it sounds a little like high records, like it could be something that, you know, Al Green may have sung, or it could have been something Sam and Dave, you know, like two of us. There are several songs that have the horn section and the organs and the soulful background vocals, but there's also some some things that, that are on that CD that are just an interpretation that we like. We even did, which we'll play today, uh, tonight, I brought, um, I'm thinking Martha, my dear, it's a version, um, we call it the Beale Street Syncopators, but um, I called uh, uh, Gerald Stevens, he's an outstanding keyboard player in town, he's playing with a lot of touring blues bands right now, I believe, and and, uh, this is like, I guess, 10 years ago we recorded Martha, my dear, and he was, he, he really was fantastic as a piano player, but he came up with the arrangement uh, for that, and I had asked him, said, I want, I want to do kind of a Dixieland version. I'm not uh, uh, skilled as a writer like that. I, I'm not a trained musician. I'll, but in that regard, I just came up with that concept for the for Martha, my dear, to do it di- different. Mm-hmm. Still kind of close to Memphis, more like a riverboat thing in that it's Dixieland jazz. Oh, yeah. And Gerald just came up with a r- great idea. It was just a lot of fun. When, Maybe, you, when you were compiling all of this, I mean, you're you're talking about. I guess in, in an aspect, sacred cows that exist within the Beatles catalog that, mm-hmm. that you're going to give the Memphis treatment. Assuming you, I assume you had to contact Apple Records about all of this and, and deal with them uh, and say, hey, we want to cover these. I know there's sync licensing and all this weird stuff that goes on in there and get permissions you get to a, do Well, it's, it's, there's a, like a clearinghouse called Harry Fox Agency. So we cleared you know, what you call the mechanicals is what you're talking about. Right, the publishing, mechanical. All yeah. the, and with that the was... exception of George Harrison, who does not go through, for whatever reason, um, George Harrison's music it goes through a company out of California. And so he, so we deal directly with their publisher. So we report, you know. Okay, so you, so you do this stuff and you make these records. Do you, are you obligated then to send what you've done back to them and say, here's what we you know, did with this music? Interestingly, some... 
Some uh, publishers request that, but through Harry Fox itself, they don't. Really? Yeah, they don't. Yeah. Did you do it anyway? No. <laughs> I mean, who are you going to send it to? You know? There's true. Yeah. I mean, hey, Harry. Send it yeah, to. Yeah. It's a big, you know, organization. It's a, it's a big deal. Yeah. You know, it, it would it would be interesting if. If, we send them checks, though. Well, I would imagine, yeah. We've probably, you know, in that we've sold whatever, not, a, you know, tons, but, you know, we, we've probably paid, you know, seven or $8,000 over the years just for use of the songs, you know, um, which, you know, it's uh, so... I'd love to think that Paul McCartney somehow or another has gotten wind of our version of Helter Skelter, you know. Sure. Or Blackbird, I was, That was, that was my next question. I wonder what, what Paul would think of this. I'm, and Paul is... He's so he's he's so open about a lot of stuff. Yes, I think that he would probably listen to this and go, "Yeah, this is all right. I like this." You know, why oh, didn't I'm I think? I'm sure of this? he would. I'm sure he would. I really, I really do. And I've heard that. Um, you know, there's actually we've gotten some feedback from some people in, in Liverpool who reached out. Yeah. You know, to me, and you know, there's a whole other side of this story with yeah. Frog Glass Onions, Memphis Meets the Beatles. After we released it's the second one, which was maybe a year after the first one. About four months thereafter, it was online literally within four or five months as a double CD package. Somebody bootlegged it from from Inside Sounds, and it was a Russian company. You know, in a way, it's flattering. Right. So you never know how many they may have sold more of those volumes in Europe. You know, right. because we couldn't really stop. We could stop it in the U.S. That's sure. about as far as I could go. Sure. I caught a, a company selling it um, on through an internet site, the physical mm-hmm. CD, and I contacted them, and they wanted proof that that I controlled. You know, the masters, and I said, well, yeah, I got. I've got the clearances for publishing, and I've got the sign-offs from everybody who played on it. <laughs> Damn it, you know. And, um, Damn it, you know. And, uh, but I, I actually sent them in those days. It was still faxes, I guess. Right, you, you know? faxed over a little and, something. Yeah, I mean, we, we were still using a fax. It was easier than scanning it and you know emailing it. Um, so they pulled it, and then uh, an article online. It was a, like a national article was generated. How it's just not, you know. The, the whatever Britney Spears that are getting bootlegged because as we know it's like ninety percent of the music out there of the especially the the top echelon in terms of sales is being you know ninety percent of it is sold illegally. Oh, it's all pirated. It's yeah, it's all pirated. Yeah. Um. So it's it's the the story that this guy picked up on was it's not just you know the Britney Spears of the world it's even the smaller indie labels. So in some way, when you consider how ever many thousands of these CDs that we've sold and the bootleg versions. Um, which is exactly the same as ours. Even the artwork was the same. Um, it's uh, maybe Paul has heard. You know, I, I'm, I would like to think that Paul McCartney's heard the music. It'd be great if we could work with Paul one day. You know, you never know. He's... Well, we know he likes the musician. You know, he's got to be a fan of Steve Potts and Dave Smith. He's oh, heard. Sure. You know, of course he loves. You know, of course Steve Potts played on at least seven or eight of these songs. And um, and it was that Memphis connection with the Beatles too, not just the fact that they had played here, but they understood what what was here. I know. Didn't Ringo live here for a while, or had did he have a house here? Or uh, no, I don't place? think no. But he was recording here, so yeah. he, that was oh, okay. the Chips moment. You that know, was fiasco. Right. Actually, it was. I think it became later was a lawsuit because Ringo did not want that music released. In those days, evidently, Ringo was drinking pretty hard. Was it fo- photographed, those sessions? Is no, it... no, this is later than that. It was later than this, that. This is when Chip's Moment came back to Memphis in the 80s. Okay. And it was all this big deal. It was Three Alarm Studio. Reba they sang back up. Yeah, yeah. Reba, oh. Reba yeah. Russell um, was sang on, on some of those sessions. 
and what it was, I think Hackett was maybe the mayor at the time, and they were trying to do something, you know, and try to invigorate the, the you know, recording scene again, and they gave the studio, um, it was a fire station. Right. You know, you know behind Beale Street, on the south side of Beale right there Street. Right next to the FedEx Forum now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was the three-alarm studio, which Chip's moment was, like, given almost the key to the city. Maybe he was literally, you know, honored with the key to the city because Chip's moment produced so many, you know, hits out of, I guess it was American Studio back in yeah, the, American the, the West. late 60s, yeah. you know, early set for about four or five years. Or So he, you know, was this Memphis iconic producer, and he he comes back to Memphis. They laid the, you know, it was the red carpet treatment for him. And one of the early things he did, and this is in the 80s, was somehow or another he got Ringo to come to Memphis to record, <laughs> but it was never released. Ringo was unhappy with the recordings. Now, who else knows what went down? And then later, of course, Chip's moment you know, a few short years later, packed up and left for whatever. I mean, that's a whole mm-hmm. another story, whatever. Who knows what goes on behind closed well, that doors. Makes, that and, makes sense about the stories that I've heard about, you know, the the floor of that studio was just filled with empty wine bottles. And, you know, apparently Ringo really liked wine at the time and yeah. drank a lot. But it was like they, that was the only thing occurring in that studio for like months. Well, I'm, I'm sure if you're Ringo Starr, they're going to let you drink. Do, do whatever let you, you want. Sleep there. They're going to let you. You know. He was writing and recording. He didn't like any of that stuff. He didn't like it because he was under the influence. And then if you know, just like a lot of folks. And then when they sober up, especially they they're like and they hear it, they on go, two Whoa. levels. They probably didn't like their performance because they were drunk and because maybe it remind. I'm, I mean, I don't mean to think. I mean, I don't want to assume that I know what's in Ringo Starr's head. But it could be that the place he was when he was drinking like that, that place in his life, he didn't want to go back to it. So there was a lawsuit from what yeah. I yeah. yeah. So oh, there was a lawsuit. Yeah. But you know, talking about McCartney and talking about Memphis, if you ever there's a really good CD that McCartney did called "Run Devil Run," and it was one that he did I think after Linda McCartney died, and he wanted to do something just kind of raw, come into the studio, do it the way you know they did it in the early days. He did just pure rock and roll, cut the whole thing in two or three days, play the live. Probably he may have sung live too. I don't remember. But it was Run Devil Run, and it was you know very had really good reviews. But he said, you see it in the liner notes, a, a revolution was unleashed in Memphis. Those were Paul's words. A, a revolution was unleashed in Memphis, and coming from him, that's pretty potent. Did he and record it, that here? No, it wasn't recorded here. It's just going back to the point of how much he values Memphis. Oh, how, okay, that's um, what you're saying. All yeah. the Beatles did. In fact, some people will say the Beatles. You know, in their early years, as far as their, their performances, recordings, they were trying to sound like Sun, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they were, you know, uh, deeply influenced. And, you know, of course, partly the concept for Fry Glass Onions, um, as we present it, is that the Beatles almost recorded in Memphis in, like, 1966. It was around the revolver period. They wanted to come to Stax to record. I mean, and it's it's um, it's support. It's funny, and only in the last few years have they supported. They've got more evidence to support that because there's a letter that was uncovered by George Harrison. I've heard about talking this. It. That, yeah. that came out just recently, like within the last five or seven years. They um, were going to record here. You know, of course, that's when Epstein was still living, their manager. Of course, it would have been you know quite the coup for Memphis. But in those days, at Sun. No, oh, it's Stax. Oh, they Stacks. wanted to record at Stax. They loved Booker T and the MGs. They loved what the, the sound, what was what was going coming out of Stax, and they wanted to come to Memphis to record. Well, in those days, it's not like now where they'll just you know 
They'll roll out the red carpet. They'll hire the police for you. They'll escort you here, escort you there. They'll do everything. And those days, you know, they rock and roll was still, you know, kind of a, a four-letter word. Yeah, it was, was a four-letter word. And not to mention this is after the we're more popular than Jesus and all that. So I would it's probably likely that there wasn't a lot of, you know, uh, there weren't a lot of politicians that were embracing the idea of them recording. And they probably weren't even, as we know, they could have been more supportive of stacks when you look back in history. Oh, sure. You know, um, a you know, white city with this, you know, R&B music coming out of stacks. I mean, there are all kinds of, you know, innuendo, you know. But what happened, though, ultimately was that it, it probably was not realistic for a band, you know, that popular, the most popular band in the world to come to stacks to record. But it was a, it was a real consideration. So one of the things that we, how we approached Fry Glass Onions, Memphis Meets the Beatles, was what if they had recorded in Memphis? What might it have sounded like? So that's part of, of how we approach the recording. When you, yeah, when you look at the albums and you go right around Revolver, as every album is so vastly different from the others with mm -hmm. the Beatles. What they have, like, it was, what, nine years, eight records, I think it was? Is that right? Or is it ten records yeah, in eight years? Eight. Well, their first recordings were really 62, I think, is when they started, late 62. It would, it would have had to have been 62, before the whole five, Martin six, Luther. So it was eight years. So they did eight eight years. Yeah, this would have been before, before King the whole was, Martin was Luther killed. King yeah. thing, yeah. They did. Well, I think, you know, I think there were, what, 14? You know, it gets confusing because the American releases were different. They were different than, from the British know, releases. They weren't, or oftentimes were different, right, than the British releases. But the Revolver, this would have been Around like that songs point. like, and obviously something like, uh, got to get you into my life, da, da, da. and you have the horn when, section, remember, which later Earth, Wind, and Fire recorded. When was it when that, they came here to meet Elvis? Do you remember what year that was? You know, I think they met Elvis in, in L.A., Actually, I don't. I thought I, they I, came to Graceland at one point. I thought it was actually his home. Elvis had a home in those days when they were touring. Yeah. He was doing the movies. I thought that okay. was that was post Sun because they were here in '64. Yeah, but they were. Yeah, when they played the Mid South Coliseum, it was in. I think it's '64. I think so. It was on that that second tour, '65 somewhere in know. there. So then they were never at Graceland. Huh? I don't hmm. think so. I don't believe I, so. I, I yeah. think they met him. You know, the story. Now it's you know they. All the Beatles talk about it. You know, they went, they met Elvis. Um, he was just Elvis. He was, had a bass in his hand. He was sitting with the bass, and he was watching TV. And they jammed a little bit, is, is you know, what happened. And um, or was that was it during, in, Or was it in Vegas when they met him, when he was out I always thought it was L.A., because I think... LA. I think it was, was during doing, his movie career, you know, yeah, right was, out of the Army, and he was trying to do something, and... He, you see, he got his contract, or I should say Sam Phillips sold his contract pretty early on. And then he did, I guess he recorded, you know, quite a bit probably in Nashville. But his movie career was, what, the, in the 60s. During, it kind of went parallel, in a way, with, with the Beatles to a great extent. His his, uh, his comeback, the, the Black Leather show, that was 66, wasn't it? 68. 68. The 68 comeback. Yes. The 68 comeback, yes. It was, it was 69 when I met him. We're... We'll have to set aside some time for me to tell that story at some point. Yeah, because you you it's, had a moment with him, didn't you? I did. Uh, I I mean, I can I remember every detail uh, about that, and we'll have to sit down and, and hear that sometime. I'd love to hear it. Yeah. Did he go like handsy with you or anything like that? No, 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 no. But <laughs> I mean, I was twelve, so apparently he was probably really more interested in us than he was those women yeah. that day. I mean, considering how Priscilla was when. Yeah, they, when he hooked up with her. She was what, 14, 15 years yeah. old, something like that? Yeah. yeah. Going to IC. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. High school. Going to set up, going to IC, <laughs> staying over at Graceland. And 
Well, we've been talking about uh, the Beatles and stuff. Uh, coming up out of the break, I'd like to play. Uh, we mentioned uh, Martha, my dear. Would that be a good one? To, yeah, to... that'd be fun. That's a fun yeah. short one. Yeah, I'd like to hear that. Kind of Dixieland stuff. Yeah, we'll, we'll 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 play that, and we'll come back, and we'll chat a little bit more about it, and uh, we'll get into uh, the whole uh, John Kilzer experience because you okay. know I want to talk about John too. Oh, I've definitely. Met him a few times, and what a lovely, lovely man. And it was like everybody else. I was heartbroken to hear about his his passing, but. Yeah. Uh, under the circumstances that it were, it just doesn't make it any easier. But uh... That's the Beale Street syncopators, if you will. There, Martha, my dear, you're yeah. on the booze and blues. Eddie Daddle is here, uh, part of the part of the uh, the uh, the Fried Glass Onions project. There, yeah, that was Volume Two. Yeah, and uh, you know, as we were talking about that, the, the theme, you know, more or less was doing some kind of Memphis vibe. Yeah. Sometimes it would end up being blues. Sometimes it would be sort of an R and B thing. Sometimes even a little bit rockabilly. You know, like I'll cry instead. I mean, yeah. of course, we're not going to play. But a few of the songs tonight. Sure, sure. But um, in that case, it was in a concept was to do kind of a Dixieland thing, you know, which is a little bit Memphis Southern, you know. And uh, Gerald Stevens was was the more or less the producer of that particular track. For those that are listening, um, they can get the they can get the collection. Is it a box set now? Did, no, we never you? boxed it, you know. But there are four volumes: right. you know, Fried Glass Onions, Memphis meets the, Memphis meets the Beatles, Volume One. Then there's the Volume Two. Technically, the third one we call it Memphis meets the Beatles. Excuse me. Fried Glass Onions, Volume 3, Memphis Rocks the Beatles. Uh-huh. It's a little more on the rock side. I got you. Then the fourth one is Fried Glass Onions, Volume 4, Memphis Loves the Beatles. They're all love songs. Oh, I, that's that are cool. Done, but not done like, you know, soft love songs per se, just a Memphis vibe. Right. But love songs, picking love songs, you know, like... Uh, um, uh, 
love me do love me do or whatever yeah well, actually yeah, hold my hands on yeah, yeah. love me do is on the the third volume but uh, we'll hear. Why she, don't we do we'll, it in the road? Uh, yeah, uh, well, that's on volume two, but that could have been on. <laughs> that you know, could have been there. It's a love song. It is it's a certain kind of love. Yeah. Well, we're going to hear Ghost Town Blues Band. We picked to play tonight. Right. I want you show. She's so heavy, and so that's a love song. But you know, it's it's, it's a not, cool it, song. Too. Oh God, it's it's a great, I've great track. Too. Yeah, and I mean, that was John Lennon at his best. You know, just sometimes he was so. Uh, original you know yeah. it's like wow this is really different you but know? if anybody wants these these volumes they can get them oh online. yeah the point yeah. is yeah they are they're available online there i guess some stores still carry them you know i mean we still make a make the cds available you're still pressing them yeah we still print them up yeah, yeah. And in fact i know some of the sort of reliable places in town and believe me a lot of places are not carrying cds anymore but nope. the rock and soul museum is they like to to stock the fried glass onions. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So they have it, and probably other couple other tourist spots downtown. Sure. Um, Memphis uh, music records and tapes. Memphis music Re- records and tapes on Beale Street. Right there, where Robert uh, Allen Parker hangs out. Yeah, yeah. Robert Allen Parker, another yeah. fine guitar player. So yeah, there's just a little, of course Amazon and CD Baby. You can get them. It's not a bad idea as far as packaging them. To be honest, as you know, with inside sounds and with the way streaming is is going, yeah, it's a funny place, you know. It is a funny v- place. Vinyl is really coming on strong, but CD sales are still probably, you know, seven eight times greater than vinyl. Um, I would have thought it was near fifty fifty, but no, no, it's still maybe it's. Five I guess it depends. Six, you yeah, know. yeah. Um, and I don't know how you know certain artists. Maybe certain alternative rock bands, maybe it works well. Obviously, some of the songs, or, or I should say some of the artists, for instance, I know uh, Al Green you know, from the 70s, a lot of the you know, songs, a lot of the music that was intended to be on vinyl originally that was later released on CD, and now they're going back to remaster and release on vinyl. That, to me, is pretty cool. You that know, is because cool. Because it was originally yeah. you know, meant to be on vinyl anyway. Yeah, when you so, go into the studio and you're working with an artist, and, and you got you got you got a notion what your end product is going to be. Exactly. And that end do. product is going to be vinyl. It's going to be the you know the, the big twelve inch. You're going to have the book. You're going to have the the liner notes. You're going to have all the packaging, the tactile thing with it. And then it comes out on this little wimpy disc, and it's, <laughs> it's kind of anticlimactic. It sounds great, but still, it's. I tell you, the, to me, the CDs though. You know, everybody, you know, all the great bands when they were working, they knew what they were hearing. You know, in the room, yeah. in their monitors. And, you know, when it comes, you know, to, you know, uh, the consumer on vinyl, Mm -hmm. they're not going to hear everything. And what was so cool about CDs is when they did go back and remaster, I mean, you hear things you never heard before. Oh, yeah. They knew they were there. The artists and producers and engineers heard those things, little subtle, you know, subtle things. Air conditioners kicking on in the studio. (laughs) Well, that's kind of cool in a way to hear that. But, But there are little parts even. You're like, oh, I never heard that little ring of the guitar. Right. You know. And and you might have, in fact, it's funny. I was thinking about it tonight. Where there's this version on Fried Glass Onions Volume One with John Kilzer across the universe, and I remember it needed a little chimey thing. I I usually didn't don't play much in on these projects, but I thought it needed a little a little chime sound. So it's actually my Guild guitar capoed to give a little strum. It just you know, on the downbeat, it needed it like a little and gliss type of thing. You, yeah, yeah, you can hear it, but it's like it's not in your face. Now, for instance, something like that, maybe an artist might have wanted to add a part, but guess what? The end, the end product on vinyl, it, it might have not been heard even. Right. So I'm not as, such a, as, a, as big a proponent of vinyl as some people are because 
man, I mean, when I started, you know, buying CDs and you're hearing it, wow, this is great. And of course, then later when, when music is being produced specifically knowing that everything you hear right here in this room, you can capture it and the consumer is going to hear it the same way. Right. It changed the approach to recording. Of course, it got into some people, maybe it was not as favorable to their ears. They would hear more stuff, you know, because sure. you could make, you had more, you had more to work with. You oh, know. absolutely! Yeah, it just opened up all the all the doors mm-hmm. on that. You know, I uh, I had uh, revisited a, a cassette tape and, and put that in a, in, a, in a deck and listened to it. I'm like, oh my god, this was awful! <laughs> you it's know, so convenient. It was you know? very convenient. It was, it was the ultimate in portable music, and and here you had this thing. You know, all these cars had it. You could slip a, a tape into the into the thing, and away you go. And you listen to it. And it's this hissy, muddy, noisy thing. Because we're so spoiled by the way we hear things now, you know, with, with digital, spe- especially, you know. But do you remember the Walkman? Oh yeah, and that was cassette, and when you'd hear the, the the little headphones, oh yeah, you thought you were in heaven. That was you know? that was taking the home stereo out into the out into the world, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, at the time, it seemed it was it sounded great, you know. I was one of those idiots that had a had a had a component system, and I had those those big cans, kind of like what I'm wearing now. But you know, you plugged them into the amp, you know, and you're and you would put the record on, and you could hear every little thing. And then, whoa, howdy, when that CD came out, it was like, whoa. And you're right, I'm hearing stuff I haven't heard before. Yeah, and you hear, you know, what's interesting is artists do things, and they know that that you're again, it's just your own artistic vision or your own artistic integrity, or or you could say they just don't know when to stop, you know. But I find, you know, the more you listen to anything, the the more you find there 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 are little parts that you never notice. The more you listen to a song, but of course, with a CD, you might hear just a little a little vocal part even right. you never noticed before. But you know something subconsciously you were hearing it, even yeah. though you weren't consciously. Yeah. And and that producer and or artist put that there because they felt like it needed that element. You know, just a little bit of ooh, and it's it could be totally buried. But you'd never really noticed it until you listened to it for the 29th time on a CD. You know? Right. Or, or you'd miss it that, if it wasn't there, that kind of thing. Yeah. you'd Oh, for sure you'd miss it. Yeah. I can tell you that. Boy, I mean, you listen to um, music that, uh, well, now that's what everybody's doing. They're going back and they're releasing, you know, you know, outtakes that didn't have the organ part on or it. The it's I- amazing how iso- much an organ. You know. Isolated vocals or isolated guitar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I kind of wish they wouldn't do that. Um, it It just kind of destroys the song a little bit. It at least takes a big chunk out of it because we all know what a vocalist uh, Freddie Mercury was with Queen. He was incredible. Mm-hmm. And when you hear just that isolated track, I mean, it's great. You get an appreciation for what he did, but you got, you know, he was an instrument of the band as well. And, and, and you know it, it's it's even better when you hear him with that band, you know. So it's like you know like, like, I don't need to hear all that. If I'm an engineer, yeah. I guess yeah. It becomes a thing where it's like trivia. We talked about trivia yeah. earlier. Yeah. It's like getting to the. It's like the folks that are geeks. You know, they're geeks about getting every little detail. Oh, yeah. They want to hear every little thing and every little outtake. I understand that, but I know what you're saying too. It's like if if that were all out there at the time, would it have possibly detracted some of the listeners if they're like i don't like that you know but it is amazing on some level to hear you know of course you know we're talking about the beatles you know and i think there's a something online they post i don't know if you've heard it it's the vocal on because off of abbey road 
And the Beatles really were great singers. Sure. Whatever people want to say, well, they weren't trained with this or they weren't as great on guitar or or it took George Harrison a few years before he really came into his own. But, man, as singers, they blended so well. And and they didn't overdub that stuff, meaning they didn't. No, it was done live. They didn't have Paul do his part and John do his part. When they would do their vocal, even as late as Abbey Road, they would do them live together. You know, I'm not saying they performed the whole song live. But they would actually do. They, they cut around, their vocals together. Cut yeah. the vocals together, and, and it's interesting to hear because without the the music and hear their vocals, and you go, man, these guys really tuned into each other and had, they were great singers. So there's there's some value to that, I think. But well, the pr- problem is, you, you know, as the artist, and of course, in, in the case of the Beatles, you know, two of them are dead. I mean, do you want people to, you know, it's like see you naked, you know? I mean, well, that well, would be a little disconcerting you know, if they start releasing every little thing that right. you know, any I, band ever did. That's my problem with that is that it, it's not it, respectful. It's pulling too much away from pulling the curtain too far back from the act. Well, that's a good way to put was it. it right, was it yeah. was it Strawberry Fields Forever where they said, oh, there's sub- subliminal messages. They're saying something in the song if you listen closely or what was it? Or if you listen to oh, it in sorry. reverse, there's Revolution Number Nine. Revolution Number Nine, yeah. Number nine, nine, and you play it backward to be like, you know, <laughs> buy right guard. Oh, no, one of them know. supposedly said Paul is dead, or oh, something. that's all yeah, from the Sergeant yeah. Pepper stuff, and that was uh, they were kind of perpetuating that own myth as well because it got them, it got people talking about them. Yeah. There's, there, I've got a, and if I can remember it, I'll bring it to you. I have a book on the subject about Paul is dead. Twenty eight if. Yeah, the twenty eight if. Yeah, yeah, and they, and, they, and they go back. Somebody like these nerds, they go back through all of the history of the Beatles, and they go, "Oh no, Paul actually got killed right before the Beatles Why? broke, and I got this lookalike yeah. guy that you <laughs> yeah. know, oh, it's yeah, it's mm-hmm. ridiculous." The irony is Paul McCartney, his vocals sounded the same up until at least like nineteen ninety. <laughs> you know, I mean. He, he never, still sounds pretty good. I mean, his yeah, last yeah, record yeah. is really good. Yeah, he, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It's really nice. Yeah, it's well, it hit number one on Billboard even. He's you know, his first number one in thirty years or something. I, I worked at another radio station. They were I was in this happened to be in this in this recording studio, uh, one of our production studios, and there was a, one of the jocks was getting ready to do an interview with him, mm-hmm. and they were having some technical trouble getting the phone patched into the board. And Paul is on the phone, and I happen to walk in to see if I could help help these guys out. And one of the engineers goes, yeah, pick up the phone and say, hello, Paul. And I'm, I didn't know what was going on. I went, hello, Paul. And he goes, hello. How, how are you? <laughs> hello. And I, hello, Rick. How are you? I spoke with him for about, I don't know, about 10 minutes. Just oh, 10 minutes of just, the just, just while, while they're working. I said, you know, they're working on this thing. And he goes, well, tell me about Memphis. What's, what, how's the weather? What's, you know, how's everything well, you going? You could have told him about fried glass onions. <laughs> I, had I known about it, yeah, that was a long time ago. Oh, but a long time. Yeah, it was, it was back when. He was, they say he was always kind, you know, or is always very kind to people. And the people He's a very he sweet tour, guy. When he tours with people, he makes a point to get to know them. Very warm guy. Apparently Ringo's way. the same way. It's. Yeah, and there's there's a, actually I've heard Ringo's doesn't like to shake hands. I think I was here. Bit of a germaphobe, is he? Yeah, a little bit. Well, I mean, it gets a little tiresome too. Sure. You know? I mean, if everybody's wanting to shake your hand all the time. There's there is a there's a fantastic book, um, and I'm, you may be aware of it. Uh, Postcards to Ringo. Have you heard of this? I think I've heard of it, but I'm. Uh, it's it's brilliant. the The guys in the in the in the band in the, in the Beatles themselves. Oh yeah, I read about. Yeah, and they had made recent. postcards yeah, yeah, out yeah, 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 yeah. for have, every yeah. tour stop, and they mailed them home because Ringo was so screwed up. He was so drunk. He didn't know where he was. He was just having a fine time. He was enjoying every minute of it. And they said, "You're not going to remember 
us playing in Budapest until we send you a postcard. And what Ringo did is he went back and collected all of the postcards. They'd saved them all, and he put out this kind of a coffee table book yes. yeah, with, with a bit of narrative that w- that goes with it. And it's it's a beautiful story. Yeah, but it's postcards to Ringo. It's That's, it's a recent thing, right? It's fairly recent, two yeah. Years or something, something like that. Yeah. yeah, I haven't gotten it. But I've, I've, uh, I got the John Lennon letters book, which was pretty interesting because John oh, Lennon bet. wrote a lot of letters to people, and he would answer, you know, friends or fans, and he he might send a, a type it out. You know, he would type a letter to people and then sign and, it. Uh, the way, you know, the old mm-hmm. school way of doing mm-hmm. things. Uh, speaking of such, uh, we'll pause. I have the Ghost Town Blues Band cut. Uh, yeah, the, this is a fun song. I absolutely, I've always loved this song. Um, I want you see, uh, she's so heavy. Uh, how did how did this work out with Matt Isbell uh, getting all that together? Well, you know, I've worked with Matt for many years. I guess we started together around two thousand three. Yeah. Um, he basically was still in school, at the University of Memphis, and um, we got introduced. I heard him. Downtown, he played, I think it was a little trio. I played too, come to think of it. It was the Butler Street Bazaar. It was the precursor to the farmer's market, and it was on Butler Street. And that's where I first met him, and then he wanted to work for the label. So he worked at the label, just doing whatever we needed, meaning literally calling folks or making deliveries or, you know, writing letters or whatever it may be. Whatever he could do. Whatever you do at a record label. We worked together very closely, but he also was very talented. So when we do recordings, you know, I'd, uh, Matt would often be involved with recordings. And um, I think one of the first things we did was on uh, In the Mood for Memphis, which was 2003. Oh, it was it 2003? I think we released the first one. Mm-hmm. The, the concept was, I thought this would be really interesting. Memphis is is included in more song titles than any other city in the world. That's true, yes. And I thought, yes. well, based on that concept, let's pick a dozen or 15 or so songs, record them all, we're going to release a CD called In the Mood for Memphis. So Matt did a Lyle Lovett tune for for uh, for that with his band. It was His band was called Gusto then. Uh-huh. That's before Ghost Town. He wasn't really a blues, if you will, a blues musician. Matt was already a, well, he was a, he's a real good singer. He was doing a lot of rock and roll. He was in, was it the, the, the rock lotto stuff? I think the rock lotto was a little later. Yeah. I think Matt, if the way he probably would, would tell it is that he loved Todd Snyder. That's what turned him on. And Todd Snyder was coming up. Let's say when Matt was a teenager, I I mean, I don't know the exact chronology of it, but Matt um, was real inspired by Todd Snyder as as a young you know, musician. And so he did a lot of folky kind of stuff, folk rock, I should mm-hmm. say, folk right, rock. Right. And he had a band called, it was kind of clever, the the uh, Blind Venetians. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yes, the Blind so Venetians. They, yeah. they played around town and stuff at age, they were in high, that's, that's they were in high school. Um, but, but to get to the rock lotto thing, that was something, um, like I said, we worked together on a, few, on a few projects. He helped out with some Daddy Mac. Actually, he's co-producer on the CD called Blues Finger. But Rock Lotto was his own project that he did himself, independent of Inside Sounds, but at the label. I mean, at my studio, he did Rock Lotto, which was a real clever idea with a scratch-off. The the scratch-off thing and the lighters that look like uh, slot machines. In fact, I still have mine. (laughs) Oh, the packaging was The packaging was brilliant. Matt is is very very visually talented. He comes up with great concepts visually. So what happened was, um, as far as uh, Ghost Town Blues Band, I guess he's... He toured with Daddy Mac. Matt did. He was the opening act and slash roadie, if you will. He helped. He helped the band. They toured for about three weeks. It was. Uh, they. I think they went all the way to California on this trip, 
And they're all climbing. It was the Bonner Brothers and William Faulkner, no relation, but he was the drummer, and Daddy Mac and Matt Isbell. They they toured out west, and Matt was playing like acoustic-style blues, you know, old Delta-style, and he'd open for a few songs. And he just got more into blues and more into blues. So by the time Ghost Town was formed, um, we had already released maybe three Daddy Mac CDs or four Daddy Mac CDs at the, by that time. And I think around the time that the, the first Ghost Town Blues Band CD was released, um, and Matt was always part of the Fry Glass Onions, Memphis Meets the Beatles, in the concert when we every few years we'll do right. a concert somewhere. Right. Right. So Matt was always part of that show. And he um, did a version of Come Together for his first CD called Dust the Dust. He did a real kind of uh, um, North may. Mississippi kind of version, real energetic version of Come Together. Yeah. He still performs that a lot with Ghost Town. Yeah. So I thought, I said, you know what, Matt, I don't think he knew the song. I was very surprised. I said, Matt, I think a cool track for you to do would be I Want You, She's So Heavy from Abbey Road. And um, sure enough, he went back and listened to it, loved it, you know. And um, the band came in, um, and it was a fun session. I mean, you know, we the idea was to have just this random sax playing on the outro. And as you know, you know, She's So Heavy is about a seven-minute song. Yeah, that's, the Beatles a, did it as a seven-minute. It's a and beefy we did tune, it, yeah. We did it almost seven minutes long. And there's Carl Wolf. It's like, and believe me, like telling a guy who's just so in tune and so precise – just play anything, but it doesn't have to make any sense at all, you know. So you just get back. You know, we just want this atmosphere of a sax. It was a lot of fun because the Beatles were so creative on that track. So we were trying to, in some ways, or I should say, Matt was trying to emulate with his with Ghost Town Blues Band, trying to emulate that vibe. It's a little more energetic, a little faster than the Beatles version, but the you know the, the basically the motif, the musical licks of the guitar part is the same. And um, it turned out real cool. I think we brought, we have this huge rain stick. I call it the biggest rain stick in Memphis. You know, most of the rain sticks you see are, are just like a small, you know, bat, let's say. Right. This one is about five inches in diameter and stands almost five feet tall. Oh, my God. Cra- that thing's enormous. Why, don't ask me how it's a Mexican rain stick. I, I have one it, as well, it's, but it's it's, it's, it's like it's like three feet tall, but it's you know it's about as big around as a baseball. You know, but this one's like and five it's bigger, feet tall. Yeah, and they, and they're, they're beautiful. The sounds those oh, things make beautiful. Are beautiful. We use it every now and then, and so yeah. when you think of they had, I guess it was the Moog synthesizer coming in and all that white noise kind of sounds going on. Yeah, because yeah. actually, it seems like George Harrison was the first to really get interested in the Moog synthesizer. I think he did his own. Concept. Um, that was a pretty good imitation. It, it was a, <laughs> he did his own of George, you mean? No, but he he did his um, he did a, a a movie soundtrack. I think bef- you know, like a year or two before the Beatles split up. So he was into synthesizers early on. And I think on uh, uh, I want you. She's so heavy. That's that's George on on the synthesizer, Moog synthesizer. So we were trying to get that vibe, and um, it was a lot of fun. We worked a lot on that track and. Uh, Matt, of course, you know he sings so well, and um, but um, it turned out really good. Yeah. Well, well, cool. We'll, we'll hear. And that's it. off of one. It's the volume four. This is volume four, which yeah. is Fried Glass Onions, volume four, subtitled "Memphis Loves the Beatles." Yes.
I see what you did there. That was smooth. <laughs> that was good. that's yeah. that's. Yeah, uh, Natalie that just was, remarked. She goes, "It's hard to believe that was Ghost Town Blues Band that did that." And that's that's remarkable stuff. Yeah, that was. I remember debating in the studio. How are we gonna? You know, should we do? You know, that <laughs> the, Matt pretty much orchestrated the the mix at the end there. Yeah. You know? um, well, y'all did. I guess a, it was cool how we did that. Instead of doing it exactly like the Beatles, it has a little bit of the vibe of the Beatles on, at the end. Yeah. But you know, you got the drums kind of. That's Preston. We were talking about that. Preston McEwen. Who's not, he's not with Ghost Town. I, mean, I guess it's that's they parted about two years ago. He's off being a professional poker player these yeah, days, and apparently he's rather line, successful yeah. at it. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, note to hey, self: don't play poker him, with yeah. Preston. <laughs> but he was an excellent drummer. I'll tell oh, you. Oh yeah. And he was yeah. young when he started with Ghost Town. I mm-hmm. think Preston was only like twenty-one. He was already good, but he was getting better. And but yeah, that was um, the mix was uh, that that ending. I remember debating it. I Very think impressive. Much Al, uh, yes. and that was Matt's orchestration. How exactly how we few hits on the i guess that was the toms and snare and then you got a little bit more i think that i believe that was joe boogie on keys too yeah i like that i like the touch of the onion the uh the, onion, the organ there toward the end because i was just looking at here fried glass onions volume four is where that song can be found so your kids need to get that record yeah it's add that to your collection um i want to talk a little bit about uh john kilzer yes we uh, we we lost him uh, about would you say about ten days ago now? I think it was Tuesday, so maybe twelve days. Is it? Or? God, it's remarkable how much time has gone by between. It just seemed like it just happened, but ten twelve days. That 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 stung. That really did. Yeah, John was such yeah, a sweet guy, and 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 I don't want to get into the circumstances surrounding his his, his passing. Aside from, look, you know, people have their demons, and sometimes sometimes you win those battles, sometimes you don't, and. But it's an it's an ongoing battle. If you you know if you have addiction of some sort, evidently it's a, it's a battle. You never um, you can, you can never stop fighting it one way or another. I don't you know, think there's it's, it's anybody always... that hasn't lost someone. I, I lost my best friend 16 years ago. Yeah. You know? S- similar circumstances. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just it's well, just you know, a fact you, you know whether it's however people go. I mean, obviously, um, <laughs> we all know people who've. who've uh, shorten their lives in terms of just like alcohol just you know i know there's so many musicians you know like i was thinking about it tonight because i didn't want this to be you know we talked about bringing you know some inside sounds recordings in and then thinking about some folks right here in this studio you know grayson wells Mm -hmm. um he and i worked together on many many projects but for a, a year or two um, he had this location here on Poplar Avenue. They yeah. called it Twilight Multimedia. Twilight Multimedia, that's what it was. Yeah, because we were yeah. talking about Twilight had been here for a bit. Mm-hmm. And then this Twilight. Was around 2001, maybe. Yeah, it was right around that. there. And then and then Leeway was part of it for a bit. Later, with, it was Leeway. With yeah. Brad Dunn and uh, and company. And then, and then of course, Pete Matthews had it. And then, of course, now we have it. But mm-hmm. but during that Twilight time, there was all sorts of stuff that was happening in here. Yeah, what, well, Grayson was super talented. I was just thinking about folks who died young. And you know, you know, Grayson is one who died uh, about five, six years ago. He was uh, young with two children. He was only 39. And he'd had his demons, but he was doing very well. He was uh, hired by Disney doing um, music, um, live music, but he also created a track called Soaring. That they would he he was commissioned to write a track for Disney, which is real cool down in, in Orlando. Oh, that's huge. And every night, every night when uh, they would close the park, I guess it was, or near the closing, they'd have fireworks and everything, Tinkerbell would be would fall from the sky, okay? 
and the music that they would play was Grayson's music called cool. Soaring. I just thought, wow, that's wow. just so... He was a wonderful musician. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking, I didn't want to... When we were talking about John and playing yeah. some John Kilzer tracks, and I was thinking of some of the guys I'd worked with, you know, like Richard Height, you know, he, oh, yeah. he passed young. He, you know, we worked together on a, a lot of recordings. Were, were you involved in that McCarty Height thing? I know, yeah, I was, I know yeah. Brad Webb was also involved in yeah, that. Yeah, that was it, Cut It Inside Sounds. I was very involved with it. In fact, I helped... Um, you know, sort of co-produce uh, all the uh, the mixes, um, or most of the mixes, I should say. We let it sit for a long time. What, what happened is we tracked it all literally over like a three-day weekend. That's the title, Weekend in Memphis. But as it is with musicians, sometimes they don't really have a plan. They just wanted to... It's like there was an urgency. Jim McCarty, who, for those who don't know, I mean, he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He was the drummer for the Yardbirds, or still is when they have, whenever they perform. He was the original drummer. You know, he played with Clapton. He played with Jimmy Page, right. Jeff Beck. I mean, he's... But uh, Richard had recorded with him some back in the 90s. There was a project um, called the Yardbirds Pretty Things. And Richard was the bass player in Canned Heat. And so, you know, we're talking these guys are blues rockers, you know. And Richard had recorded a couple albums and with Jim McCarty up in Chicago. Jim was was visiting some some friend in um, in Illinois, not during you know a recording. It was like a some social you know visit, just a trip to Illinois, coming over from England. I guess he was living in England at the time. And Richard said, you know, Eddie, I talked to Jim, and I, I want to get together and put do a recording here in Memphis at Inside Sounds. Jim's all about it. He's actually here for several days. But he, I mean, in the states, he can come down here for three days, three day weekend. So that's what we did. Is we literally called up a bunch of folks, including Brad Webb, Blind Mississippi Morris, Morris Cummings played harmonica, a guy named Danny Lancaster, who sadly uh-huh. passed away just a couple of years ago. Danny um, was a, is a was a great singer, guitar player. Nighthawk was on that too, wasn't it? Nighthawk played on it. He played some keyboards. He didn't play harmonica, um, and um, it was a fun session. And these guys, basically, what they did as musicians like that, they just they just go, they look back into their own catalog of what they've recorded in the past, and they, they had a bunch of different grooves and different progressions. Um, you had you know your twelve bar straight up twelve bar blues. You had a, even a, an acoustic song. They did a cover of a, an old Yardbirds song. Um, but a lot of the tunes didn't have lyrics. You know, they were just like, okay, here's the groove. They weren't prepared with the lyrics. And believe it or not, a lot of times that is a real, that can hold up a project. And it did. It held up the project. And, you know, Inside Sounds is a label and a studio, and we had other things to do. So that that project got put on the back burner for like five or six years, I think. Because wasn't it Billy that found the masters and then went back and did the... It, it wasn't quite bits. that. It wasn't quite that dramatic. Nobody found the masters. We we had the. What happened is we did do maybe three mixes early on. Yeah. And they were good, but like I said, we had unfinished some unfinished songs. Okay. So what happened was I was working with Billy Gibson. Um, Billy and I started working together with Junkyard Men, and that mm-hmm. was around I guess ninety eight. I think it was. And of course, we worked together for I don't know ten fifteen years. We hadn't been doing any projects the last few years, but Billy's <coughs> been involved with a lot of the. You know, important stuff that uh, Inside Sounds has produced, including Fried Glass Onions, Memphis Meets the Beatles. But in particular, the McCarty Height project was um, 
sitting there and it you know it gets embarrassing i'll admit it you know somebody says it's, it's, it's happened, gathering dust whatever, what you know, whatever happened to that project <laughs> and it was it, good it, and it was you know and these are you know guys that you know one guy's you know in the rock and roll hall of fame and so esteemed and played with clapton it's well. a pedigreed record yeah, is really yeah, what yeah, it is yeah. Yeah. And, yeah and richard you know <laughs> you know he's no slouch i mean he was a wonderful bass player and these other guys, Brad Webb, and you know, so Billy was not part of the project until we revisited it. I got gotcha. you. And so what happened was, you know, it's gnawing at me. Richard probably was like, you know, maybe we should get back to it. Um, actually, Sandy Carroll and I got together and talked about writing some lyrics. Richard didn't; he just wasn't in the frame of mind to write to finish some songs. So um, somehow or another, we just made it a point: we're going to finish this thing. And Billy's going to co-produce. Um, and so I don't think he technically even got a credit that way. But he ended up going back because, as things are, not all the tracks that Morris played on, playing harmonica, worked quite the way we wanted them to because we never did finish the project. So Billy steps in, and he, he played harmonica uh, on a few tunes and helped mix a few other songs and Richard did some vocals. I think we had to finish vocals with Richard, and he so was in good Did he spirits. just come back in to do it? Is that how that yeah, worked? He yeah, he came back in and, and, yeah. and did some of the vocals. I think we brought Danny back in to do some of the vocals. Some of the tracks were actually live in the studio. There was so, Danny's, he's a, he was a great singer. And there's one on the, the opening track of the, of the album. Of course, I hate to be talking about the CD, and we're not going to be playing it. But oh, I have it. Oh, you know, I, I have. He could play a track. I, I Shake him on down. It's his own. Yeah. You know, it's an old. You consider it a traditional, you know, North Mississippi song. And of course, Danny Lancaster is from <coughs> Duck Hill, Mississippi, near Grenada, you know, Mississippi. And um, he had his own version of Shake Him On Down. Well, that vocal was so strong. We didn't even dare, which is wonderful to say that we didn't we, dare to we bring gonna him back. We were going to screw with that. We gonna, we gonna, <laughs> even though you can hear again talking about a little bit pops or the you know somebody bumping into this. Or, I mean, you don't really hear that on the track if you've isolated it. Well, you probably I mean, if you would. did, that'd be okay. Oh man, it was so such a strong vocal. But Danny did. Um, I recall he he did a couple of more takes. But so Billy basically was the point man. Um, to help just wrap the thing up, for God's sake, you know, after this <laughs> meet. And that's a long time. Yeah. And, you know, sadly, Richard um, uh, developed um, cancer, and I think it was two, it was it was 2001. Um, we did release the CD in 2001, and it was getting good reviews and getting airplay. And, and like you said, it was a pedigree. You know, you got these musicians, these Memphis guys who were great, along with, you know, these – you know, historically respected, you know, did Candy it, did Baseball. Did it come out before he passed? It came out before, oh yeah, it came out before he, and I'm happy to say that Richard, it, it said, he said, you know, this, I'm happier with this recording than any of the Canned Heat stuff I played on. Wow. wow. He was, you know, because it was more his baby, you know, and he sang, you know, of course he wasn't the lead singer in Canned Heat. Um, actually, his brother, Bob the Bear Height, was the lead singer, met primarily, and um, so Richard's, you know, of course, sang three or four tunes. Danny Lancaster sang three or four. Jim McCarty sang, I think, three. You made a dying man and, happy. Well, he wasn't <laughs> dying at the time, though. I mean, <laughs> he if, didn't in, know in a way, it. you look back at it, and uh, it was later in the year. Actually, he died during 9 11. I remember going to the hospital and seeing all that on television. It was literally, he died like two or three days after 9 11. That's what he was watching in his, you know, hospital bed. I mean, he didn't. He actually was diagnosed and died within a week or something. It was. Uh, oh, it was wow. several. It, but it was the same year. But What's it was several, fast? It was several. Yeah. Well, you oh, know, you have a week to live. Ooh. 
Well, I, I think the radiation or the chemo killed them. Yeah, that'll, oh. that's the chemo. It's just, the cure yeah, that's worse that's, than the disease. I, I think you know who knows. I mean, everybody, you know. Um, I mean, that's what you know uh, what happened anyway. I mean, I don't know specifically. That's um, I don't know if the chemo had been more effective, and that's always a little bit of a crapshoot, if you will. And they're always developing that, fine tuning it. Um, but he was so that was during nine eleven. That whole that week. That, I remember that how he was watching that on television, but the CD came out earlier, so no, it wasn't a posthumous thing at all. Okay, and, wow. uh, and he was very happy with it. But yeah, it was um, it was. Um, but talking about the folks who have passed away, and um, so back to John though. Um, That's right. John Kilzer yeah. um, was. Um, I was delighted that he was involved. You know, in Fry Glass Onions, I mean, as, as you, you all understand it, we brought in a bunch of different musicians, different featured singers. Some of the songs were, um, we had like a, a studio session band that was, you know, oftentimes was Dave Smith and Steve Potts and um, I think um, Steve Selvage sometimes on guitar. We'd have different guitar players. But, Such uh, great, great Yeah, we musicians. had like, on, on several of the tracks, meaning, you know, seven or eight, all told, between the 49 tracks, we might have had, a, you know, a studio band that was the same group on seven or eight. And Dave Smith, of course, had worked with with John Kills, where he recorded a, on Memory in the lot, Making. I a lot yeah. of love between those guys. I know yeah, they, they worked yeah, together yeah. a um, long time. I haven't time. talked to Dave. Um, we, I, I basically just texted him about John. And, um, you know, of course, I've talked. And Kevin Houston, who recorded, or almost all of the Fry Glass Onions was recorded by Kevin Houston. Yeah, a couple of tracks so were cut by Jeffrey Reed, if you know Jeffrey Reed down in Oxford. I don't. Um, Taproot, Taproot. You know, but my heart done. really, really goes out to Steve and Dave and Yeah, those and guys have been playing that... with them every week. But Dave was, uh, and apart from that, you know, Dave's history was going back to the recordings of Memory in the Making and touring the world, you know. Or, or I guess they toured over in Europe and in you know, the U.S. So Dave Smith, um, you know, wanted John to be, you know, of course I knew, you know, John Kilzer was a, a, a Lennon fan and a big Beatles fan. And so I was delighted to have John. And I was a fan of John, John Kilzer's, you know. We weren't friends, friends, but I would, you know, but we, you'd, I guess you could say we were kindred spirits. And I'd go hear him. I, I was more of a fan of John Kilzer's than a colleague, you know. And I, and I had, you know, three of his recordings, and I had Memory in the Making back in the day in Busman's Holiday. So I was a big fan, so I was real happy. And that wasn't the first time he'd been to my studio. He'd been there before just to hang out and talk. Um, and um, But this was about 2005, 2006, I think we, we had John um, come in and record. He did, he did two tracks for you, right? Yes, he did Across the Universe, and he did Glass Onion. And Glass They're on different Onion, volumes, right? Yeah, uh, Across the Universe was done on, on the first volume, and then Glass Onion was done on volume two. And um, as I recall, Across the Universe, I don't think we had a real clear plan. Just let's just track it. What I mean, how far, how Memphis, how different are you going to make a song like Across the Universe? So it's got a little bit a subtle Memphis vibe, but it's it's almost still kind of folky. I think of that as a folk song, you know. Right. And um, that was actually the the beat generation were were the tracking musicians on that that particular song. Okay. Then on on um, Glass Onion, that was pretty much you know Dave Smith's concept. It was a, a Teeny Hodges style guitar, a, an Al Green slash you know Willie Mitchell 
rhythm section kind of Hodges Brothers type of sound, you know, that high record sound, and that's what it sounds like. Um, and then Dave played the, I think he might have even played the rhythm part on that song, the guitar, in addition to the bass. I think he did play the, the rhythm on it. And, of course, um, what's interesting, and I remember, as far as my input, I remember just working with Dave on it a little bit, but it's mainly Dave's bay. But I'm, I'm proud to say uh, most of the background parts were, were my concept. The way They're sort of syncopated on the track. I liked how it turned out. And you got Jackie Johnson on there. And interestingly, Freddie Kirksky, who's a keyboard player, he's sing, he just, you know, he's friends with Dave Smith, and he also toured with John Kilzer back in the day. And so Freddie's singing background vocals on that. He never, I don't think he ever actually played an instrument in my studio, but he's hes on like three or four different background parts <laughs> on Fry Glass okay. Onions, Memphis Meets the Beat. It's just kind of ironic, you know. That's and cool. he, he was like wearing a cap and his shorts, you know, and just kind of, it's almost like he was hanging out, and it's like, hey, come on, let's see. Of he's a very talented guy. Well, but he did tour with, with John Kills. Why don't well. we play both of those tunes? Okay, and then well, we'll talk some more about John. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about John. Also, I want to get uh, Mark Caldwell in from the Memphis Blue Society. He's got some news, uh, you know, from uh, from the organization there. So we'll get into all that and more. So uh, and, and I want to hear you play a little bit tonight, too. Okay, as well. I can yeah. do that. Yeah. So, yeah, why not?
here on the Booze and Blues. We are uh, hanging out with Mr. Eddie Daddle from Inside Sounds. Uh, we recommend you uh, go find it. InsideSounds.com, by chance? Yeah, yeah. How'd you guess? <laughs> Just a stab in the dark, my friend. Uh, um, uh, the Everything you need to know is, uh, about the label is there. Pretty and, much, you yeah. know. We don't... We don't... We don't update it enough, but it's it's. Yeah, I think most of all the CDs are listed. Anyway. That's well, that's good. Excellent, uh, excellent. Absolutely. Uh, Mark Caldwell is here from the Memphis Blues Society, and uh, thank you for making this happen uh, tonight. Thank you, Eddie. Uh, you know, yeah, thank you. Rick. You and Natalie have thank done a great so job for, for the show. Coming. Thank you. It's wonderful. Oh, uh, so thanks thank for you. inviting me. Yeah, it's been wonderful. What is happening? You you're a busy man. You've got some stuff going on, don't you? Yeah. Um, I'm going to go over the gig and event calendar real quickly, but I want to sure. talk about our benefit coming up here soon. Yeah, because you've been putting um, the final screws down into that down, one now. So. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, I'll go over our gig and event calendar. This is uh, our calendar for the week of Sunday, March 14th, or 24th. Uh, these are just kind of uh, select highlights from the calendar coming up yeah. uh, for you blues fans out there. Um, every Sunday, 4 to 7 o'clock, we have our Wild Bills Blues Jam, uh, hosted by Juke Joint All-Stars. The Memphis Blues Society hosts that. Did Dave Lambert make it out to that by chance? I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. I saw Dave. You know, <laughs> he he was excited jam. about it, yeah. Yeah, he came out to Brad's Jam. I saw him out there. Yeah. So, uh, good time. Good, he, and good time. I, he and I spent a day last week together when I got off the air, and uh, we, we drove around town. Did you go around? Oh, I, I introduced yeah. him to Mark Parcell, and uh, we may have him some gigs down in that circuit, you nice. know, the, the downtown good. South Main thing. Because he's, he's moving out. here, so, you know. Yeah, he's looking pretty serious. <laughs> <laughs> that he is, yeah. Um, Sunday, every Sunday, Barbara Blue plays with Matt Kerr, Nat Curd at four, uh, 4 to 8 o'clock down at Silky O'Sullivan's. Uh, Mondays, uh, I'll, I do like to mention this because uh, Donna Bowers is a, a big supporter of the Memphis Blue Society. But, yeah, uh, she'll be here tomorrow. She yeah, is yeah. Uh, here on Radio Memphis from noon to one every uh, every Monday with mm-hmm. Music Monday, and uh, that uh, it's me giving her hell for about ten minutes, and then she takes the rest of the hour. But <laughs> it's all in love. It all works. It, it all works. works. <laughs> it all works. The nooner. The nooner. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, she's a wonderful support uh, for Memphis music, uh, her, as is at Radio. Her Memphis. and Doc. And her and her. It's her, wonderful. Her, you her had that Doc show. just celebrated a birthday yesterday, I believe. Yeah, so yeah. Very good. So uh, Tuesdays, every Tuesday, Earl of Pearl Banks he, and the Peoples of the Blues Band. He's down at uh, Blue City Cafe. Um, this Tuesday, March twenty sixth, Doc Fangas and the Remedy they play at BB King's Blues Club down on Beale Street. Um, Wednesday. Every Wednesday, Barbara Blue and Nat Kerr and Robert Mache is down at Silky O'Sullivan's uh, down on Beale. Uh, Alma of the Shades every Wednesday. Uh, That's a show right over there. Beale's Music Room. Uh, we have a good time. We have our board meetings. Uh, a lot of our meetings over at Beale's. <laughs> you, you have your board meetings during during Elmo's show. <laughs> yeah. Um, you don't get much accomplished, do you? <laughs> when, when Elmo comes on, yes, it kind of goes on. <laughs> <laughs> Elmo's the man. Uh, but it's kind of fun to have our meetings and then know that we can get to see Elmo after that. Yeah, well, sure. if great, you like to dance, ladies, oh, come it's a down. Great show. It really is. It oh, really yeah. Is. But anyway, Elmo is uh, every Wednesday night. Uh, Elmo and his Elmo and the Shades, they play over at uh, Neil's at 7 o'clock. Uh, Thursdays, Barbara Blue and Nat Kerr down at Silky O'Sullivan's. Uh, also, Thursday, 7 30 to 11, Brad Webb and Fred's Blues Jam. Uh, the Memphis Blues Society uh, sponsors this as well. This is our Rock House Live at Raleigh the Grange Road. Um, this is, uh, I saw Dave. This is where I saw Dave. He's been down there. So. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, he's like, he's like, yeah, I think if I'm going to build a band, that's going to be the place I'm going to hang. Well, there's a lot of great musicians at these at both jams. Yeah, uh, I've I've talked to Dave. He's I think he's had some good time good time networking. With oh, a his lot of musicians. There. His head has just been expanded yeah. dramatically. He's like, man, you know, it doesn't snow nine feet here in Memphis because he's from Minneapolis, of course. Yeah. And then he's like, uh, and everybody's just so nice. Yeah, I said, and also give it a minute, uh, but yeah, there's a little bit better of blues scene now. <laughs> yeah, there's not much blues in Minneapolis these days. I mean, yeah, there's some, so, but not to disparage. Yeah, I, I didn't folks. mean it that way, but um, yeah. there's so many the, the 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 there's so many talented musicians in the mid south. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible blues, all genres, but especially blues. I mean, they just show just up. Just the two yeah. jams. I mean, yeah. Dave's met a lot of them so far. I didn't. And, d- didn't Dave? I, I believe didn't Dave win solo duo one year at IBC. Not for the Blues Society. Now, he's represented, I, I may be wrong. But he, represented he's, he's represented one represented year. up in Minneapolis, in Minnesota. He represented one year, yeah. solo duo. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's I, how he became familiar. Yeah, familiar but, yeah. With, he was with Brothers, uh, yeah. Brothers Son, Sister Brothers, Moon. Son, yeah, Sister Brothers Son, Sister Moon, that's right. Yeah, and they were actually yeah. on the show a couple of times. Yeah, they've so been here a couple of times, so. yeah. Uh, they've also been a part of the, uh, the, the wonderful Women in Blues showcase that they have every year at the IBC too. So yeah, Miss Donna Dahl was singing there and yeah. doing some stuff, oh, yeah. they, playing they, drums, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, yeah they, they've done a wonderful job. So, um, But uh, yeah, Dave has a plethora of musicians I think that he can... Uh, He's got I a well. He's, he's got a well to dip yeah, from. Let's I put it that been, way. It's been good. I think it's really opened his eyes. There's a good opportunity for him. Well, he said meeting you know uh, uh, Brad Webb was a was a was a big keystone moment for him. Yeah, I bet so, it was. Yeah. I bet it was. Um, so anyway, Dave will be here in a couple of weeks, so we're looking forward to that show. He'll That'll be, be fun. The first Sunday in April. Um, back to the schedule. Um, Fridays, Barbara Blue and that crew. They are down in Tokyo Sullivan's. Uh, this Friday, March 29th, Zeke Johnson, he plays every the last Friday of every month. He plays at Java Cabana. And this coming Friday is his show. That's 7.30 to 9.30. That's a fun show, too. It is. It it's is. a good time. It yeah. really is. Um, Best milkshake in the city. It's I'm not kidding. Very tasty, yes. The coconut milkshake at the Java Cabana. <laughs> yeah. I love milkshakes, but I don't know about coconut. Oh, oh man. <laughs> Take you a pack of flask, throw you a little rum in there. Just don't let anybody see you do It'll it. Be but all set. Is, there, all is set. there like real pieces of coconut? Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> the crunchy kind. The crunchy kind, yeah. Uh, <laughs> kind that'll gum up your straw. Stick okay. a spoon in there and just oh, just oh, God. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, I'm not a big coconut well, person. You may, you may need to. Try but there's it. other shakes. I'm just yeah. telling you. This. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it's a good show, really. You should. And it's Zeke. You know, he's a. Ah, I love me some Zeke. He's gonna story tell and play some slide, and you know. Oh yeah, exactly. He got Uh, some. He's got some good, good, uh, fuzzy stories. Furry. He has endless stories. Furry. He's a bit fuzzy. Yeah. But. Fuzzy, furry, whatever. He has some good stories. It's a good. It's a good time. It's a good time. Really, yeah. it's a free show, and it's. Yeah, it He's got some good fuzzy furry stories. <laughs> fuzzy, yes, he does. Yeah, he yes, does. he does. He's made them fuzzy. That's for sure. <laughs> um, next, this is kind of cool. Um, next Sunday night, Robert Nidak and the Wampus Cats are going to be here. I'm They're looking forward to, to this. Oh, yeah, they are going to. Uh, well, let me back up. This Friday, they're doing their CD release party down at B-Sides. 
Uh, that is uh, seven that, o'clock this Friday. That's in Minglewood, right? It's in the Minglewood building. Yeah. Yeah. It's at fifteen fifty-five Madison. Anyway, that's at seven o'clock. I would encourage you to go down there. This is his CD release party. Seven o'clock Friday seven night. Seven o'clock Friday. Okay. But the band is going to be here. It'll be the Radio Memphis uh, premiere of their new record from Wampus, Wampus Cats. So are they just going to perform it in here? Yeah. Next they Sunday be night. Down here. They'll be all live. So Do I need to move? Uh, I need to talk to Robert, but we want to bring in the uh, M3 in here. That's what I was going to say. Oh, You're yeah. going to bring the, bring the organ in here? Yeah, please. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. need to plan on that. So that's going to be a fun show. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be good. We need so to fire that up tonight make sure it's running. Yeah. yeah. Steven. I, I learned a big a, a big thing about that, speaking of, of, of that organ. There's a difference between line and input on that on that thing because I ran it through the head. <laughs> oh, it made a it made a noise that, that strength came straight from the bowels of hell. But, you know, we got it worked out. But it works. It sounds great on the air. <laughs> Uh, yeah, please. We, it needs to be toted in here for next Sunday night. Not a problem. Toted? Uh, we can tote it. We can tote it. Exactly. <laughs> it's not that bad. I'm going to next, uh, this coming Saturday, Eric Hughes, uh, he's uh, aboard Backbeat Tours. This is fun. If you've not taken a tour with Eric, it's he's going to be here 11 o'clock and 2 o'clock. He's going to be aboard Backbeat Tours. Yeah, get on the bus. That'll be fun. Yeah. Uh, this Saturday, March 30th, 5 to 9, Alfonso Sanders. He's at Napa Cafe. Over on Sanderland, uh, Earl of Pearl Banks. He plays his regular Saturday show at Blue City Cafe. That's March this March 30th, set 5 to 9. Uh, Barbara Blue and Nat Kerr, they're over at Sophia Sullivan's at 5. And uh, Memphis Snake Doctors, they're going to be over at Tony's Trophy Room out in Collierville. Uh, more of the bands are starting, I think they're starting to bring more music out there at this trophy room. Uh, so well, That's good. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's going to be 7.30 to 11.30 this Friday, or Saturday. And uh, Doc Fang is on the remedy. They play Half Shell in Winchester this Saturday from, at ten o'clock. Now the highlight. Uh, this is this is the priority for everybody. Um, Saturday, April sixth, seven o'clock, the Memphis Blues Society. We're going to have. Make sure our annual benefit. This is mm-hmm. this is a benefit for the Memphis Blues Society to benefit raise money funds for our programs and events. Right. Uh, this is going to be a jam and a silent auction. Um, Daddy Mac Blues Band is the featured musician or, or band for the night, and Pope opens the show. Uh, the cover is a $10 uh, contribution to the Memphis Blues Society, and this is at Neil's Music Room out on Quince. Um, I'll say this now, and I've mentioned it a couple times, but we're looking for, uh, if I'm looking for volunteers. If you'd like to help, I can let you know how to get a hold of me <coughs> to help. Uh, we're also looking for contributions for the silent auction. So, yeah, we're looking for gift cards, gift baskets, uh, you know, music, music and sports memorabilia, music instruments, uh, record CDs, timeshares. Uh, timeshares. <laughs> no, I mean, you we, think about that, but that makes no, perfect really, sense. Yeah. yeah, some people they will donate. You know, this year's. Yeah, exactly now. for the. Yeah, yeah so, here's here's a week of timeshare in wherever. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, yeah that's kind of cool. I like to kind of you know put that out. If anyone has any of these items, you ain't going like to use it anyway. Yeah. Yeah, if you'd like to contribute those, it goes to a a very good cause to help the Memphis Blue Society with our programs. So, get in touch with me if you uh, if you'd like to volunteer or if you might have something to uh, contribute to the benefit for our silent auction. Um, you can contact me. Uh, I'm at Facebook. You can contact me via, via Facebook Messenger at Mark, middle initial E Caldwell. It's Mark E Caldwell on Facebook Messenger, or you can get me an email at Memphis Blue Society Membership 
at gmail.com. So it's Memphis Blue Society membership at gmail.com. When's, when's the date of the fundraiser this again? This is Saturday, April 6th, 7 o'clock out at Neal's. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so Until whenever. Yeah. So first Saturday of the month. Yeah. Oh, God, that's after, a week after the Saturday. Yeah. Okay. And so after... Um, Two weeks away. At, at the end, we're having an open jam. So, any musicians you want to come Please. out, bring your instrument. Yeah. 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 After Daddy Mac and Pope, we're having an open jam. And so, it, you know, it's going to go it's on until time. whenever. Yeah, as as many musicians as want to come up and sign up and play and jam, we're going to keep going, you know. It's going to be a good time. It'll be large. Yeah, we're going to party. We're going to keep partying until everybody that signs up has played. Yeah, so good. It's going to be a good time. Good. Anyway, please mark that on your calendar, Saturday, April 6th, 7 o'clock at Neal's out on Quince. Um, a couple other things coming up. Um, the Memphis Blues Society, we are working together with George Thorogood and the Destroyers. They are coming to the Graceland Soundstage. He has a really good new blues CD record that came out this past year. I, that's what I heard, yes. Yeah, so anyway. Um, can we get him down here? We can ask. <laughs> it can't hurt. I've I've met him before. I mean, yeah. I doubt he remembers me, but yeah, it'd be great to have George down here. Yeah, yeah, but he he's going to be out at Graceland uh, Soundstage on April on April thirteenth at eight. Um, Memphis Blue Society members, I don't. Have, I was hoping I have the information tonight, but um, I hope that next week we may be able to let uh, members know that they'll be able to get they will be able to get discounted tickets to the show. All good and. Uh, I'll mention it. Um, we hope that we will have a meet and greet and tickets to the show uh, that will offer. Um, we actually may do the drawing on the blues on the blues show in a couple of weeks. Yes. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm working with them. I'll know more this week, but uh, it basically will be a uh, not a raffle, but a drawing. Sure. So if anyone is, is interested, we'll get all the details together for you on how you would like, you know, how to enter that. So yeah, yeah. We'll have that out uh, in email, and we'll put it on Facebook and uh, get the information out. So uh, good time there. Um, lastly, um, Herman Groom Benefit. This is benefit number two. Tuesday, April 16th, 8 to 1 o'clock over at um, – this is going to be over at uh, Rail Garden. And, uh, oh, this will be big. <laughs> This is pretty cool. Devil Train opens a show. Yeah. Free World comes on, and then a group called Banyan. This band has been put together for the show. It includes Stephen Perkins from Jane's Addiction. He's their drummer. Willie Waldman, Herman Green, Ross Rice, and Clint Wagner. That's going to be Banyan. They're going to be the, sh- the band there. Wow. Uh, and Norton Wisdom is going to be on stage painting all night, doing live paintings that they're going to have up. And then you could buy them right there on the spot. So that's all to help Herman Green. That's awesome. Yeah, he's incurring more medical issues. Uh, The benefit we did back in November. uh, Which was a huge deal. It was very good. It was so much fun. And uh, he still needs help. So I just want to encourage everyone to come out Tuesday, April 16th, 8 to 1, over at Rail Garden to help Herman Green out. Good. That'll be good. So mark those on your calendar. Um, What I've gone over, just a partial part of the calendar. Go to MemphisBluesSociety.com. And there's a button I've got on the homepage for the gig and event calendar. You can click on that and get all the, the whole calendar. And uh, also the Memphis, the homepage, if you'd like to m- know more about the Memphis Blues Society, volunteering events coming up, go to that. It's Again, it's memphisbluesociety.com. And remember, don't forget to tip our local musicians and support local musicians. That's right. Throw a couple of bucks deal. in the bucket. Please, please support local music. 
Very good. Please come see us at Neil's April 6th. Yes, put that on your calendar. Memphis thank Police you. Society needs your help. <clears throat> yes. That'll be fun. That'll be a fun show. Yeah, but thank you, Rick. Good. And uh, thank you, Eddie, so much for being on the show tonight. Thank oh, you. It's my pleasure. It's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Stuff going yeah. on. I didn't know. Is Richard Cushing also going to be? Richard is doing the whole piece. He's doing the, the benefit over at Real Garden for Herman. Yeah, because those guys and Ross Rice, they all played with them. Oh, Lord, yeah. I mean, yeah. you're talking – you just named two names that have been mainstays of Memphis music for years. Something well, yeah. Well, quarter well, century. Yeah, first yeah, <laughs> quarter century. Spearheading, yeah. spearheading this benefit. So okay. It's going to be good. It's going to be real good. It'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, Eddie Daddle is here. Uh, we're going we're gonna to press you for uh, uh, playing a tune here in, in, in a little while. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about – you mentioned uh, Edwin Hubbard uh, earlier. Yeah, you know, um, when Mark called me, he, he said, well, bring some, some tunes, you know, you'd like to talk about or some artists. And um, Edwin Hubbard, kind of, you know, it's sad we're talking about John Kilzer, but I thought about um, it was 22 years ago this week that Edwin Hubbard passed away. And it was real dramatic, you know. He was actually conducting the Germantown Symphony Orchestra at the GPAC. Right. And he... Uh, collapsed in his dressing room at intermission. I was there. Wow. And that very night, which was, I think it was March 22nd, 1997, it was the week of the Haley Bop Comet, or Halley Bop Comet. Remember that? Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, I think on the, what was it, the northern sky on yeah. the horizon. <clears throat> and pretty fascinating. It only happens every thousand years or something. But it was that, those days or those nights. And um, this CD we put together, I'd been working with Edwin. He was doing a lot of uh, just transfers at Inside Sounds. And through the process of doing this and from um, doing a couple of little remixes, we decided, um, well, we'd, we'll release a CD. He'd never had a CD released. Of course, back in the 70s and 80s, he'd done a lot of recordings, several LPs he had released. He was one of the you know, most uh, influential Memphis musicians. Of course, he'd recorded... You know, with uh, a lot of uh, uh, of the Stax artists, and uh, he did projects at Cotton Row. And his big thing, of course, was the commercials, the jingles. He must have recorded a thousand, produced and or arranged a Man, thousand. Man, those paid jingles. the bills back in the day. Well, that's why he came to Memphis. Edwin Hubbard came to Memphis, as I remember, for that. But anyway, it was that night that uh, he he died. He had a heart attack, a massive heart attack. But that was the day that the CD came out. Which is kind of strange, kind of wow. bittersweet, you know. Yeah. And with yeah. the Hellbop Comet right out there in the. Yeah, in it this. was strange, surreal. Marvell Thomas, of course, you know, if you remember Marvell Thomas, who's passed away, what, how many years has that been? Five, six years now? Marvell played, they used to do the Peabody Brunch and uh, with Edwin Hubbard, and Marvell was the key- featured keyboard player. And Marvell was there. I mean, we all were, all the, you know, we were all there, and it was a packed house to boot at the GPAC. I'll, I'll never forget. And we all, I mean, those who were friends and worked with them, we went to the hospital over there. Anyway, I, long story short, it's a strange anniversary, you know, these days with Edwin Hubbard. And um, he lived a full life, was a great musician. You know, people who knew him remember him as a flautist. Of course, he also played, I think, bassoon and played piano and saxophone and, I mean, virtuosity, you know, all these instruments. But um, so, yeah, this was something, just a short little song, Memphis Blues. It's a, he calls it Memphis Blues, and he calls it a W.C. Handy track, but it's, it's really an interpretation of the Memphis Blues. Well, I, I've got that uh, queued up, and also uh, Tom Hackenberger. Yeah, and Hackenberger's another one, I thought, you know, since we're talking about folks who, that I've worked with who passed away. 
Um, this is a track, and mentioning we talked about Robert Nighthawk. He plays um, organ on this track, and Tom Hackenberger's the featured piano player. And what happened was it was a, a song that I, I had recorded back at the attic upstairs from Cotton Row on Madison. Yes. And it was just a, a little song I recorded, meaning not a lot of production, but the main instrument was piano. And, you know, a couple of years after he died, I guess, you know, you're thinking about things and you feel sad about things. And so I had the idea to bring in, a la, you know, Nat King Cole and Natalie Cole, we brought in these musicians, a drummer, it was Chuck Reynolds on drums. He used to play with Jimmy Davis. He used to tour with Jimmy Davis from Memphis. And um, you know, Robert Nighthawk, Ed Finney is playing guitar. Oh, yeah. There. yeah. So it's a wonderful live session. Jim Spake on saxophone. I thought oh, yeah. that'd be oh, yeah. kind of bluesy, you know, a little yeah. bit Memphisy kind of thing. And we tracked all this around the piano, meaning the recording of the piano. So we, we isolated the piano track that we had recorded, that I recorded at the Attic Studio in the 80s that was Tom Hackenberger on piano and I I was singing and there were a couple other instruments so we just took that piano track which is hard to do because you know they they <laughs> recorded these guys recorded around what was there just the the isolated piano they heard so we wanted it to be kind of a jazzy thing with guys you know like so it's, so it's it's a it's a live recording with just a piano scratch, if you will. Not even a scratch, but the actual track. Yes. So you would start, it was as if he was in the room. Yep. And you're, and you're working around it. Yeah, yeah. And it, you know, it's just kind of a thing we, we wanted to try, and it worked out. And so we released it on a <laughs> CD. It's pretty rare <laughs> that yeah, it worked yeah, out like that, you know. I, just, I was thinking it's about It's like, oh, it. God, if you only just went to this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there is, if you listen, you know, there's a part where John McClure's playing upright bass. There is a spot where you can tell there's a, 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 a second of a train wreck, you know. But that's jazz. <laughs> that's it's jazz, really jazz. Yeah. I mean, It's improvisation. <laughs> the best way to put it. It's an improvisational piece. Well, cool. Well, we'll hear that, and we'll hear um, uh, Edwin Hubbard. We'll get it started with him, uh, Memphis Blues. It's up out of the break, and then we'll hear you live. How about that? All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. we got to yeah. squeeze a couple of tunes out of him before he gets out of here. So there you go, kids. Eddie Daddle right here on the Blues and Blues. We'll be back with more after this here at Radio Memphis. <laughs> Thank you. 
Eddie Daddle is here in the studio. We got a little bit more time with him uh, before we before we wrap things up. We thank you so much for your time, no, Eddie. Thank you, Rick. you know, on a so Sunday nice night. Nice to see you. Uh, this is. I know you have spent some time here in in these hallowed halls. Yeah, years ago. Years I worked ago, with Grayson Wells. Yeah, Grayson he Wells. Was, uh, he's another. Kind of, we're talking about all these folks who passed away, but Grayson died about five or six years ago. I think it's been now. But he was a Memphian who uh, later moved to Orlando and worked for Disney, creating music and playing live yeah. at uh, Epcot. But for a, maybe a couple of years, he had this space, and he called it Twilight Multimedia. And Grayson was a keyboard player slash producer slash, you know, the guy for the beats. He did a lot of, you know, the rappers would call. Hey, right, man, can you make beat maker. Beats? Yeah. He was a beat maker, and he worked with a lot of folks that way. He was real fast, too, with it. In fact, we produced and co-wrote a couple of commercials. Remember the Marty's jingle? There's no substitute for style. Remember Marty's. Oh, yeah, 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 we, yeah, yeah. We wrote that. I don't think we recorded that here, though, but uh, we wrote a couple of jingles. Um, <laughs> and um, he was just really good and fast with yeah. this, you know. And um, so, yeah, that was the history here. And we did a couple of little, you know, he did. I mean, he was working here. This was his studio. Yeah. And Inside Sounds was a separate thing. But sometimes we just work together. He'd come over to my place or I'd Maybe come over he's here. Still around. Could be. He could be. He was a wonderful guy, very we, gifted, we very, have, very we, talented keyboard player. We have a few spirits that's, that linger in and, in and out of here, you know. But he was a good man. It would be a good spirit. This would, this would be after Charlie Rich, I guess. Forgot that Charlie Rich. Yeah, he, he did. lived close to here. I knew he. he lived oh, this Cherry. was this was the Fox's Den. Oh, okay. I did not know. And that. he did a bunch of stuff out of here. Well, they had a publishing company here for a while. Yeah, like Fox eighties. Fox Records, I think it was. I think it was. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. That Silver was. Fox Records. That's what it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He was a great one too. Oh yeah. Wasn't it? Sam Phillips once said he was the most talented musician ever to walk through those doors. It's son. Wow. That's, that's he was so versatical. You know, that's high a, praise. Such a great piano player. 
Speaking of Memphis history, and I, and I, I know you, you you keep a close eye on Memphis history as well, um, uh, the, the the Union Avenue development down there around Sun, the, the old, the lit building. The edge. The, the edge, edge, yeah. The, the edge. They're about to tear the lit building down, which used to be a Cadillac dealership years ago that Johnny Cash had worked at before he... I didn't know this. Before this he'd is... recorded. And there's some people now that are a little worked up about this. And they're saying we should leave these buildings. Sun will always be Sun. And, of course, Phillips will always be Phillips. But yeah. right around the corner from that is that, that that Edge District. And there's a lot of history that, that happened in there that we're just kind of turning out. And I, I understand progress. We have to make things, you know, uh, we have to grow a little bit and, and not, you know, hold on so much to our history. We have to remember it but not glom onto it, you know. It's okay to let it go, and and I don't know if you if you clearly you didn't hear about that one. I didn't know about that. I, I mean, I, one thing I will say, I think it was that uh, Michael McCarthy was sort of spearheading the thing with the Johnny Cash statue. Yes, that's now there in Cooper in Young. Cooper yeah. Young. Yeah. I think that's great, and I think Memphis needs to take advantage of every opportunity that that we can in terms of our connection to these great artists you know i mean johnny cash is a is an american legend i live right there at cooper walker area you know Mm -hmm. that church and that's where he played his first paid gig exactly so it's historic and they've got it's great that they did this i mean it's they got a historical marker there now and and hopefully they can they were selling uh bricks and you could have your name embossed That's on it right. yeah, as yeah, yeah. part of the uh, the platform that the statue is going to sit on. So, well, yeah. I know that the edge is going to be like a big development. I've read about that part of it. I yeah. didn't know there was some reluctance. I mean, there's been a lot of stuff in Midtown lately about that particular. They're calling, of course, I see it on Facebook. You know, you see the they say, "Oh, it looks like a barn." There are four units over there, right behind Overton Square. <laughs> yes, I've seen that. I mean, you know, so there's the criticism. some are calling it the, uh, the 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 Noah's Ark of, of... yeah, the Noah's Ark. So, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, you know, in the edge, I don't know. I mean, they, they they really need you know residential, and they're doing what they call mixed use, right? They're doing right. commercial and residential. We need that in Memphis. Yeah, we do. I don't, I don't know about the buildings there. It's not a it's not a residential neighborhood, so it's not affecting anyone that way. You right, know? right. So I, I don't really have you know I don't know I know the buildings you're talking about, and of course we were talking about Kudzu's earlier. Oh yeah. I, I mean I'm glad that I don't know if that's going to still stand later, but it's still standing now. You know, yeah. uh, one good fart and that thing will come down. Um, somebody it, need, who old. needs yeah, somebody needs to get it and and really put some money into it and save it. Um, you know, we we talked about how historic that place is, and how many people have played in there over the years, and not just that Joe had worked there, but just it's just a neat neat spot. Did they ever? I I saw an article, I don't know, in the last year where they were there was there was a there was a country store who was going to restore who had bought Hernando's Highway, yes, yes, and was going to restore that. Did did that happen? Has that happened? That's the local guy, Dale Watson. Ameri- Dale, yeah, Watson. Dale Watson, yes, thank you. Yeah, he, that's, he moved to Memphis to start that festival, right? Right. And he's buying it with a partner. Yeah, he, he bought he, he was he a, bought a an resident Airbnb of, here too, and he was a uh, resident of Austin and Nashville. Yep. Yes, and he said, "Screw Nashville." Thank you. Because there ain't no real country music there, and Austin is getting just as bad. And he said, "I'm coming to Memphis." Memphis and, and he 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 built a place, or he's working on a place down on uh, down in Whitehaven, not far from uh-huh. Graceland. Right, right, right. And then he's then he got Hernando's Hideaway, and everybody now is real excited because this is going to be a real honky tonk. And he and he's decorating his Airbnb in sort of Elvis style. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was really cool. 
If you go to Dale Watson's Facebook page, he's got this brand new tune, and it's kind of a rockabilly type of thing. Well, you could tell the Memphis just rubbed right off onto him because he's yeah, doing yeah. this 50s, 60s rockabilly country type of thing, and it's, oh, it's fantastic. God bless him. I think it's great. I've heard a couple of his tunes. One of them I heard was was real good, and it was kind of rockabilly style. Um, And catchy, you know, lyric, you know, stuff. My my, f- I say it's catchy, but I can't remember it. That's yeah. funny, but it's you know. My first run in with him was at was an good. airport in Austin, Texas, where I was flying back to Memphis, and I said, "I think I know you." And he said the same thing to me. He goes, "I think oh. I know you." And and we got to talking for a minute. He said, "He said, yeah." He said, "I'm splitting my time between because he has a lot of dates in Austin, yeah, yeah. and then a lot of dates here in Memphis." And he said, "Memphis is where it's at." You know, people. People fail to realize that the real music in this country is here in in this city. And he said, God forbid that Memphis goes the way of Nashville and Austin. You know? Amen. And I, it's Amen. like, you know, I I said, you know, your mouth to God's ears. I, I, I hope that works out. Well, you know what? With that being said, though, at the same time, we sure would like – more of a major label presence, you know. At the well, same time, yeah, you know what I mean. So it's it's yeah. like a, you, you got to find that 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 middle ground, the compromise, because we don't have enough of that kind of infrastructure. Well, well we've well, got I mean, good studios and everything. Well, we don't need punch there. clock eight to five engineers here either. This, this town has been notorious for Twilight making records down here in the middle of the night, you know, getting stuff done. It's the grit and grind. It's the grit know, and the, the grind. Music, yeah. Well, I think I think you grind. should have like a grand opening of Hernando's Hideaway and have Jer- none other than the killer Jerry Lee perform. Well, he had a stroke recently. Yeah, so hopefully he'll be healthy he'll be enough. He's, he's, I hope I he comes back. I mean, how how many mistakes. lives has the killer had? <laughs> a dozen a at least. All of them. <laughs> a dozen at all least. Of them. About as many wives as he's had. Comebacks and lives between him and Little Richard. That's really the the. These are the grandfathers of rock and roll. These are the guys that started it, and that's kind of where we're at. Mm. You know, it's nice to see somebody like Dale pick up the pick up the mantle and say, yeah. you know, it's it's still here. Really uh, I want I want to do. Thank this. you, Dale. And we're we're working on trying to get Dale down here. Oh, that'd be great. Um, yeah, that'll How be. How cool would that be? We're gonna do it like on a Saturday or something with him, and he's got like a trio. So we'll mm-hmm. put him. The, the song I was telling you, I was thinking of was uh, "I Lie When I Drink." It's it's on YouTube. It's a fantastic song. I only lie when I drink, and it's. Ooh, let's do that. that sounds good. It's 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 fun. Yeah, yeah. he's good. He's he's definitely. He's a he's a, a nice guy. I mean, he's just down to earth. He gets it. He understands it, and it's it's nice to see that in a musician that goes, "Look, I've got to go where it is." You know, you've had the fortune of working with those people as well. He's got that look. I mean, if Elvis were still alive, he'd probably look a little like bit like Watson. Dale Watson, <laughs> like, a, like an older Elvis. The yeah. white, the white, it'd be white now. It's it's, it's yes. the pompadour. He's got a good eight inches over the top of his head. Right. And, you know, he's here to rock. He's here to have some fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's a good guitar Seems player. Seems like too. a cool guy. His sponsor is is Lone Star Beer. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> they don't sell it here. Um, Eddie, how about a song from you, my friend? Oh, a song uh, on the guitar? You, well, unless you want to, us to bring in the organ. Um, we got a set of drums over here, Eddie. Yeah. We towed it on in. Yeah. Real bright string. Is this okay? To just... You can do what you want. That's a beautiful guild. It's a song I like. Don't let your love die. Baby, let's give it a try My 
heart is open, ready to fly into your arms right here tonight. It's gone all of my pride. There's nothing I've got to hide. I fall to my knees just for your smile. And I'd crawl at your feet to keep you a while. In the pouring rain, I'll stay with you through every storm. In the shivering cold, I'll keep you warm. I'll keep you warm. Don't let your love die. Baby, let's give it a try. Can you imagine how this could grow? Higher and higher, where God only knows. Don't let your love die. Baby, let's give it a try. Don't let your love die. Oh, that's very wow. sweet. That's nice. That's a sweet song. There's a, there's a little George Harrison working in there. Yeah. You know what? I almost brought my little bracket to play harmonica, but I had a busy day, you know? <laughs> and you know what? I was reading people. Really, I know I'm, people sometimes knock me. I'm, I'm, I'm a Beatles guy. I like the Beatles. And now with YouTube, you, you, you find out little things. And I thought about bringing the little bracket because I was reading, you know, on All Things Must Pass, the song um, Apple Scruffs. He had ne- you know the song Apple yeah, Scruffs. Yeah, it's a yeah, great song. Yeah, yeah, it's a great tune. Great, it's simple. It's real Dylan-y. He never played harmonica before. He didn't know oh, how to. Really? He never, and it's a great part. On this tune, I have a harmonica part on the song, which works real well. And I'm not a blues harmonica I'm player. I'm a sucker not, for harmonica. But he I'm never. He didn't you. know that you. According to what I was seeing on on the internet. He didn't know that you breathe in on the harmonica. You know, you blow out and in on the harmonica. Mm-hmm. He was that, you know, green, and he just, like, thought this song needs harmonica. And um, He so just anyway, found the right key and then just went with it. He just went, well, He yeah, he just went with oh, it. Oh, awesome. played, Never played it. And that's talking about a musician, you know, to come up with a part like that. Never, He, he never even had played the instrument before is, is the way I understood it. I was thinking since we didn't play uh, in the there's a tune I wrote yeah. called uh, Memphis State of Mind. Mm-hmm. It's off that CD. You've got already already uh, you have it programmed. I was just gonna play a little of it. Just okay, cool. yeah, yeah, play it, yeah. yeah. And then we can play the recording. Sure. Because uh, we don't have a lot of time, I guess. And basically, I just wrote the song on this very guitar. Wally Ford helped a little on this. I'll just, just the basic Wally. Gist of it. Oh, go on. We love Wally. Wally helped. He was the co-producer. He did a great job. It's one of these things. Go um, goes. How does it go? Got up this morning, tossed my troubles away. Going to the city, gonna spend all my pay. Gonna have a good time. I'm in a Memphis state of mind yeah. Got a little woman 
sweet as she can be She lives down by the river Always waiting for me We're gonna have a good time I'm in a Memphis state of mind I'm in a Memphis state of mind A Memphis state of mind I'm bound for Tennessee. Yeah. And it goes like that. That's right. I've got it queued up. We'll play it here. Yeah, I've got it queued up. Yeah, so up. We'll play it. I figure yeah. a little taste of it, you know. Ah, that's a tease. But, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's one. Uh, Such a tease he is. Yes, he is. Well, I'd rather hear the recording. You yeah, know? Well, and we'll, since we got it queued up. Yeah, we'll, yeah and we'll play and it. I, and yeah. I thought talking about Memphis, you know. Which I think, in spite of some of the stuff going on and some of the backlash, let's say, about what they're tearing down and what they're deciding to keep, it's on the upswing, this city. I mean, I've never seen it. I agree. On, the, on, on so many levels, whether it's the arts, the attitude, the, 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 the financial growth. The redevelopment. Some things are coming the, back. I mean, just, yeah. you know, you see. The spirit of the city seems to be really, really growing. Anthony Hardaway, Hardaway, you know, Hardaway, uh, you know, mm. Tigers. I mean, there's a lot of cool Ashler stuff. Ashler Hall is coming back. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, I've got I've got some of those kids coming in here in a couple of weeks. So we're gonna do we're gonna do some stuff. They've got a thing that's gonna be happening over there. Cool. So it'll be big. Um, Eddie, uh, your uh, your record, uh, the other side of the sun, is tremendous. Oh, thank you, thank you. Uh, that's that's the album with Art of the Deal on it, which I absolutely love. Yeah. I'm going to keep playing it until we don't have to play it anymore. Yeah, <laughs> cool. yeah, we, we're going to have to keep playing that one. Yeah, you know that trickle down blues is also on that record, uh, or part of it, I, or that was a separate track. That was the, the what I did was I, I released. Uh, we did a single. You know, to promote you know the the trickle down blues and art of the deal. So we we basically if those two are on one single. Right, that's two the flip. Songs, yeah, CD yeah. single. Yeah, and um, art of the deal is is on my another side of the sun, but not trickle down blues. Well, I tell you what else is really good on that record too is doormat. Um, yeah, I absolutely adore that song. Thank you. You thank know, some very very I good stuff. Played that one, you know. Cause I, I might even know that one. That's the one. Well, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, 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 go ahead, play it. it. Yeah, Dormat's good. Can you give us a little tease on that one? Oh, yeah. That's well, a... it's, it's um, one that turned out pretty good. Actually, talking about Eric Hughes, he played harmonica on that. Okay. It just lent itself to harmonica part. Yeah, it did. But, um, yeah, I like that. That was, You know what? That tune was um, an old song of mine that I never finished, and then I was thinking of an idea for Daddy Mac, so we stripped it down. Or I stripped it down. It was just something I wrote on my own, and it's um, and, and there's a version called Doormat. It's a totally different song, but the, the, there's the, Doorman and Doormat. They're different songs, but Doorman, um, excuse me, Doormat. I'll be our Doormat. Doorman is a Daddy Mac song that we I think it's on Blues Central, and it's done just straight blues, you know, real raw kind of blues. And it's it's like baby, you know, I'll be your doorman, but not your doormat, you know, and it's it's a pretty cool song. So I went back to the original song, and I'm glad you like it. You know, it's it's a, it's I've gotten a lot of mileage out of that song. <laughs> I think there's a lot more to it too, a lot more mileage that, that that's there for you. You know, it's a, it's a great stuff. It really is. Thanks, thanks, yeah. thanks. Do you want to play it? 
I don't, you know, to be honest, I haven't really played it. Well, then, but I don't want to. So. I don't want to press you on that. Just go get the record, kids. Just, I, I know it musically, but I don't remember all the lyrics. Oh, that's fine. That's that's quite, one of those. That's quite all right. Well, InsideSounds.com. Go, uh, go there, and uh, you'll get the list of uh, all the records and where to get them. And uh... yeah, you can, you know, locally, if folks are listening. You can go, you know, to the Rock and Soul Museum. Uh, I'll tell you who's really good about carrying a lot of Memphis music too, apart from Memphis music records and tapes. Sun, people don't think about it because it's mm-hmm. like the tourist place, but they carry a lot of uh, nice Memphis music, you know. Um, so I, I would recommend that. You know, there are a few other Are you in uh, Shangri-La or Goner? Sh- Shangri-La carries some of our stuff, but not, not that much. They like to stick to kind of the, maybe like the Memphis country blues. They might carry a Daddy yeah. Mac, you know, CD or two. So, um, but, uh, of course, online, you know, if you can't find it locally. You know, Anywhere you on Bill Street. Amazon, you know, Amazon is probably the best bet. Anywhere on Bill Street. <laughs> yeah, Bill's, the... Not anywhere on Bill Street. I'll tell you, the Center for Southern Folklore. Yeah, um, Judy. You were mentioning Zeke Johnson. He, he plays at the Center on Saturdays still, doesn't he? Yeah, he's that... play, he plays down there a lot. Okay, and Daddy Mac hadn't been playing there. But you can buy Daddy Mac's recordings at the Center, you know, right there on Main Street. Easiest way, just go online. Yeah, but it's nice to support local business. Yes. That's you know, true. If you can, yeah, that's, that's very the, true. The money stays home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Eddie, thank you so very much for your time this evening. Well, thank you, Rick. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we need to, we need to have you back, you and, uh, nice you know, you we'll, uh, we'll, do, we'll do some more next time you're around. And, uh, you know, next time you got a record you're ready to, to, to unload, bring it to us. I will. I will. And, and we'll, yeah. we'll right play it for the world. Top of the list, and, uh, um, Keep playing that art of the deal, you know. I mean, we need <laughs> the, it. the video is is delicious. And it really is. I'm it turned like, out we were lucky. It, it, worked, it worked out you know? very well. Yeah. Just ideas, you throw them together and see how it works. And I can't name the law firm, but a law firm in town they knew what, they knew what they were getting into, you know. And they let us. That's a, that is a law office where we recorded the video. Yeah. What? I, I just want to say one thing. Um, uh, on behalf and to John Kilzer, we're going to love you no matter what you do. We're going to love you. That was what John always said. Uh-huh. We're going to love you no matter what you do. We're still going to love you. Our hearts go out to everybody that loved John. That's Very all. nice. Very nice. All I want to say. Godspeed, John. Eddie, thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Sounds good. Thanks, Rick. I'm going to wrap it up with uh, with the the studio of Memphis State of Mind. Cool. <laughs> so, right. so here it is. Eddie Daddle, kids. We'll see you all next time here on the Booze and Blues. Uh, next week it is uh, Nighthawk himself. Yep. Yes. Robert Nighthawk Tombs and the Wampus Cats here in the studio. This will be big. This will be fun. Um, lock up the liquor and hide the women because it's going to be a wild night down in here. <laughs> see you all later.
Proceeding was produced by Pirate Radio Studios Incorporated and originally aired live on Radio Memphis. Any offers or advertisement contained may not still be valid. All rights are reserved and copyright is held by Pirate Radio Studios Incorporated, Memphis, Tennessee. For more, look for all the RMOD players at radio-memphis.com. <laughs>